Okay, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. I'm Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and this is session number 64. Uh, so, you know, we've been talking about the, you know, like the, 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 the over-under right now is whether we're going to get to Rivendell by Christmas. And, but, you know, number of sessions is uh, kind of getting interesting, right? I mean, when do you think we'll finish book one by 90 sessions, you think? Might, we could probably do under 90. We only have, uh, what, 26 sessions left? Uh, we still have, what? Well, a couple chapters? I don't know. We'll see. Um, but, uh, but anyhow, this is, uh, this is pretty cool. So we're going to, we're going to, we're, we're, we may, may leave Bree today. That's this is a big moment. We've been in Bree for months now, uh, so uh, you know we'll see <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Um, but um, excellent. So okay. Uh, so let me start off tonight uh, just by uh, uh, I want to uh, you know, talk about something from the from the discussion board uh, here at the start. Um, I'm really excited. I just wanted to mention, of course, I'm really excited to get to see some of you, uh, in just a couple days. Myth Moot is this weekend, uh, day after tomorrow. Uh, I'll be driving down, uh, to Virginia to see you guys at Myth Moot. Um, it's going to be a great time. I'm, I'm very much looking forward, uh, to the, uh, to my session with, um, uh, to my to my Lotro broadcast. So last year, I did a I did a live bro- a, 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 bro- a Twitch broadcast in front of a live audience, uh, which was really fun. So I had you know the audience uh, uh, you know here uh, on Twitch, and then I had uh, the live audience sitting with me, uh, and that was really fun. Uh, so we're going to do that again this year. Except uh, this year, what I did last year, I did Bells of Dale. So I went to Dale for the first time this year. I'm going to do the High Elf intro sequence for the first time. I've never done it before. Uh, so that'll be, uh, that'll be, that'll be a good time. So I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, to doing that. And that's broadcasting. Oh, I'm blanking which night that's broadcast. Is that a Friday night? Is that a Friday night thing? I think that's Friday night that that's happening. Uh, Valora, you can correct me if you remember better than I do <laughs> the schedule. <laughs> Friday. Okay, yes. Friday at 8 o'clock. Uh, so uh, you can, uh, of course, the best way to make sure that you don't miss that, obviously, uh, is to make sure that you're subscribed at our Twitch channel, and then that way you'll get an email notification. So that'll be really good. And I, I am really looking forward to uh, uh, getting to see. I know some of you are going to be there, and that's going to be awesome. Um and uh, so, yeah, one thing I did want to say, we are going to be uh, broadcasting some of our uh, sessions this year. So uh, just to kind of just to kind of to, to, to sort of let you know about this. Uh, in fact, what's going to happen uh, is we're going to we're going to um, we're going to shamelessly guinea pig uh, you guys. So because here's what we want to do, what I really want to do, what I've kind of wanted to do for a while. And we're finally I'm hoping to implement this next year is to be able to have online registrations for MythMoot. It's not the same, obviously, as coming and being there, um, but at least to be able to get there and, and to participate, you know, to, to, to hear and see and participate, uh, 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 you know, remotely uh, in the in the paper sessions and talks and things like that. Um, that's something that people have been requesting for a while, and we've lacked... Well, really, mostly the hardware is what we've lacked, actually. Um uh, to be able to to film stuff and get those those things set up, so this year we are experimenting uh, with that. Um, 
and we're hoping to work out the kinks of that. So the the place to go, again, go to the Twitch channel. We'll be broadcasting stuff from there. Uh, so again, you, if you don't want to miss anything, you can subscribe to our Twitch channel. Um, you can check that out. There will be some uh, uh, there will be some go to webinar sessions that we'll be using, but we're going to try to use Twitch uh, through a lot of it. So. Um, anyway, yeah, Mike, exactly. And I mean, I realize that there are a lot, you know, it's one thing for us to say like, oh man, you should totally make a point of coming to Mythmood. And if you can, you absolutely should because it's fantastic. I mean, it's really, I'm not just, I mean, okay, I'm, I'm like kind of being a homer here, but at the same time, like really, I don't think I've had a, a more fun, um, uh, at, uh, any conference ever than I've had at Mythmoot. So uh, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, however, again, I know that sometimes it's like there's, it's one thing to say, oh, gee, I'd like to come. And it's another thing just, I mean, to recognize that it's impossible for you. And we don't want to just totally exclude everybody for whom it is impossible. So as I say, this year, we're experimenting with the interface. This is, this is our year to make sure that we can see if we can actually get it done because uh, it's kind of complicated. Uh, you know, multiple rooms and lots of different people and, uh, uh, trying to manage the interface and stuff. So uh, we will be working on that this year and you guys will be the beneficiaries of our working on that. Um, so, um, so again, keep an eye on our Twitch channel uh, and we will, uh, we'll definitely be, be broadcasting some stuff uh, as we go through. And uh, if you, uh, in another place, I will be, um, um, uh, uh, I, I will be able to, uh, uh, notify about that on my Twitter feed as well, just to kind of let people know the upcoming events and stuff like that, that we're going to be streaming. So anyway, that'll be a fun adventure this year. And you guys uh, can come along with us. Um, uh, yeah. So it'll be really good anyway. Okay. So that's, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, Okay. Okay. I was about to say I'm really focused on, on Mythmoot this week. That would not be technically true. Because I'm still in the first half of the week, which means I'm still focused on getting finished with all the stuff that I need to get finished with before I leave for Mythmoot, uh, including, for instance, the finishing touches of my costume for the Masquerade Ball. Uh, and uh, this year, uh, my uh, my family's coming down to Virginia with me. They won't be at the conference the whole time. They're going to ditch me and go do other fun things, but they're going to be around. Uh, and so my wife and I are doing a, we're doing a, a team costume for uh, the uh, Masquerade Ball. So, uh, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta refine some things there for, uh, uh, for, for the masquerade ball. So we'll see, we'll see how we do there. Um, let's see, uh, any hints? It's not Tolkien themed. Uh, I am, uh, I am, I am, I am, I am going as a character from a work of comparatively modern fiction. So that, there's my hint. And yes, Tony, we will finish the War of the Ring. That is going to happen tomorrow night. Uh, and also, I should say, so tomorrow night, Wednesday night, uh, not only <clears throat> are we going to have our final session on the War of the Ring, but uh, I am also going to be announcing... Um, I am also going to be announcing the uh, the next book that we're going to be doing. The election will be done by then, uh, and I will have the, uh, the two spoilers... I think Sauron defeated is going to be one of the two winners, but the other one is always the mystery, right? And that's the book that we're doing next. Uh, so I'm definitely going to be, uh, uh, I'm definitely going to be doing, uh, going to be doing that. You know, Druid's Fire, if I had thought of that, uh, 
you know, uh, going in like a bathrobe and towel, uh, you know, as as Arthur Dent would have been kind of brilliant, but I didn't think of that. Um, and uh, and I'm not sure that my wife would have wanted to go as Trillian, but um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> JJ asks if we're going as Edward and Bella from Twilight. No, 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 we're not. Um, how would you dress up as Bella from Twilight? You just have to try to like look like everyone is that the idea like i like um <laughs> sorry <laughs> could, you, could you dress up as a cardboard cutout would that be a good bella costume i think that would kind of be a good bella costume wouldn't it um but, <laughs> but anyway um yeah good <laughs> blue wizard said is, is it bad i didn't even vote for the book i nominated you know blue wizard that was actually interesting because uh, you know I, I i get updates from uh from dr powell who runs the 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 voting and he was telling me it's like okay you know the nominations it's it's pretty clear so he gave me the score of like you know who the like who was com- which book was coming in second in nominations uh and so it looked like that was that was that was likely to be the thing um but yeah the voting didn't end up coming out like the nominations came out necessarily so uh, it was good. Um, anyway, cool. Um, <laughs> uh, Tony Mead says, "Okay, be mad that all the boys like you and everyone wants to be your friend. That's how you. That, that, that's how you dress up as Bella. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, but we're not going to do that. We 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 have we have we have a much cooler costume than that. Okay. All right. Um, very good. All right. So let's get going." because uh, we've got, like, paragraphs and paragraphs of text to get through here tonight. So, um, uh, tonight's class is called a stealthy departure as they make their their quiet and inconspicuous way out of Brie, we hope. Um, uh, if we get as far as uh, Bill Fernie taking an apple to the face, I'll be happy with our progress in tonight's class. Um, uh, Arnthrobe had a had a, a really interesting this is kind of a crossover point because he's also been uh attending the Mythgard Academy class on the War of the Ring and uh, the the History of Middle Earth series that we've been doing uh over the last year and a half or something like that. Uh, and he says in class 3 on the Return of the Shadow, we talked about how scent is enhanced when one becomes a wraith, uh but you can smell more clearly than you can hear or see, we're told. Uh now keep in mind this is at that that quotation is from very early in the Return of the Shadow, um, it's fr- th- basically this is when Tolkien is just working out for the first time what it what it means to be a wraith. You know, the, the, the sequence was, "I need a new adventure for Bilbo or some other, you know, replacement Hobbit to go on." So he does the the long expected party. That was the opening sequence. That was the very that was the first origin of the story, and just to like have him depart him or somebody else depart either Bilbo or his heir. He, there were several drafts of it. Uh, and, uh, and then get him on the road and Tolkien literally had no idea where he was going or what he was doing until this rider overtakes him, uh, which turned out to be a black rider, which Tolkien had no idea what it was. And so in figuring out who the heck was this dude on a black horse who was just overtaking, uh, the party of hobbits that was leaving, uh, Hobbiton, he, d- he discovered that this was a ring wraith and this probably had to do with Bilbo's ring. And so the whole whole concept of the invisibility ring as a ring of power and the the wraithification process and all that stuff really emerged uh, right there uh, from his kind of contemplation 
of what it meant, uh, you know, again, like who this guy was, who was on the road. And in that kind so it's way, way back there in that context that, uh, Tolkien said in, in, in these early drafts that smell becomes more clear. Uh, see, uh, seeing and, and hearing is muted. Um, but, uh, but smell becomes more clear. Um, anyway, okay, so as Arthur goes on, as stated in these classes, Tolkien tends to hold on to the initial concept of his ideas, even if the context changes eventually. Yes, and that's certainly true. Can we then use the passage about the wraith scent as evidence that the Nazgul can in fact smell energy or spiritual aura left over or present? That they can smell the ring or areas where the ring was used? I know one must be cautious in connecting his early rough drafts to the finished version. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so here's um, here's the uh, uh, the 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 immediate uh, thing here. Okay, so on the one hand, I guess I would say like yes and no here, uh, Arnthro. So first, I would say. Um, Yes, I think that we, it's, it is safe to hold, uh, or rather, I think that we can see that Tolkien held on to this, right? I mean, it's no accident that the Black Riders are sniffing around with their invisible noses, right? Um, the, uh, the sharpness of scent or the, the, the reliance upon scent even, um, we see as something that definitely survives into the published text, even if, you know, other things have changed and goodness knows he kind of changed his mind about this. Um, you'll remember the passage in, uh, you know, at the end of the two towers when Sam puts on the ring, uh, in the pass of Kirithungal, right? And he suddenly finds that his hearing is in the published text. He finds out that his hearing is sharpened, uh, and he is able to to hear the orcs coming and, and understand their conversation. Um, in the first draft of that passage, he briefly got like X-ray vision and was like able to see through the rock. Oh, not just like garden variety X-ray vision, not just X-ray vision like um, Superman or something like that. He got the ability to see evil where it was. And that was at the time when there was not one single spider that he was fighting. And it wasn't just one. It wasn't like Ungoliant um, or Shewab. It was like all just like masses of spiders. It's just like, you know, they're like jumbo uh, pumped up Mirkwood spiders, but all over the place. And so he was looking through and he's seeing all the like evil spiders and everything in their dens and whatever underneath the, uh, the, 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 the stone. Point is, Tolkien like changed his mind here and there, as we can see about, um, sorry, I'm like in a, some kind of earthquake with the, Twitter, there we go. Okay, it's a little bit better. Sorry, I need to stabilize my uh, my my Twitter camera there. Anyhow, so uh, we can see that he changed his mind about what exact effect it has, and he kind of waffled here and there. Decided, no, 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 sight is not increased; it's muted. Uh, hearing is increased, or whatever. But again, smell that seems to be that seems to be uh, legitimate uh, that that state, especially since the importance of uh, of scent that we see with the with the ring wraiths. So. We have that. That's certainly, I think, I think fairly true. However, um, we also, that doesn't necessarily mean that they can smell things like spiritual auras or like where the ring was necessarily. Um, it could well be. I, I, we can't rule that out, but our data about that, I think, is much poorer, basically. Um, because what we know 
Aragorn is going to say, and we are approaching the passage in which Aragorn says it, uh, that they can smell the blood of living things. Um, And that seems to me more likely what they're doing, but we can't prove that they're not smelling the ring and stuff like that. Um, So um, anyway, yeah, it's, um, it's, not clear that they can again, and and if we want to go as far as spiritual auras and stuff like that, that they can sense some things. Like you remember the uh, uh, in in the two towers again at the foot of the stairs of Carathungal. Now this time, um, we uh, um, th- when they're still down in the valley, and the witch king is coming by at the at the head of the army, right? And he pauses. He pauses because he can detect some other power within his valley, right? So he has some kind of sense of this. And it's not clear whether it's probably the ring that he's sensing, um, though, of course, there's other kinds of power too, like in particular the file of Galadriel, though when uh, Frodo puts his hand on the file of Galadriel in that scene, it kind of makes the uh, the the sort of attention of the, uh, the ring wraith pass over him, right? Um but anyway, the point is he can clearly sense something, but he's not—he's not sniffing it, right? And it's—it's it's not obvious to me that those two things are necessarily connected, or that it would work like that. Like, would somebody be—you know—would would a wraith who did go to that spot two days later could they sniff it out and be like, "I sense the—I smell the presence of the ring that was here two years ago," or something like that? Um, I don't really necessarily think so. So, and you're right, absolutely, Fourth Dauntless, that Aragorn is going to say that the ring draws them. They can, they can sense it, right? But again, I'm not convinced that that's connected with their smelling or that that has anything to do with why, you know, they were on all fours sniffing around, right? Um, that seems a little bit more kind of, you know, garden variety following a, a, a scent track kind of, uh, uh, kind of situation to me. But I mean, again, we can't totally prove it there. So, you know, we have to be kind of cautious in, uh, in conclusions about this. Um, but anyway, so the, I, I thought this was, this, this was a good, uh, a good question, a good connection between the drafts that we've been reading and, um, uh, and this stuff here. So, Blue Wizard says if they could smell the ring, wouldn't they have known it wasn't in Crick Hollow sooner? Quite likely, though again, not knowing if they can do it, we don't really know the parameters of that exactly, right? Were they, um, cause you could say, Blue Wizard, honestly, you could turn that around and make that into a positive argument. You could say, well, yeah, since they can smell the ring, all they needed to do was get in the house. And once they were in the house, they could tell, nah, it's not here. Right. So they didn't need to find Fatty Bulger. Fortunately for him, uh, they didn't need to find Fatty Bulger in order to be certain that the ring was gone because they can smell it. And it they wasn't they didn't smell it. So it wasn't there. Um, again, I, I said last week, I'm not totally convinced of that line of reasoning at all. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, Lincoln, I didn't uh, put this on a slide, but uh, Lincoln had an interesting theory saying that basically the kind of uh there's reason to believe that the ring bearer is particularly susceptible to the kind of compulsion that the Nazgul are able to generate, 
right? We've, you know, the kind of compulsion that we've talked about, the, the sort of come hither that the, uh, that the Nazgul show, right? Uh, and to which the ring bearer seems to be particularly susceptible. And so basically Lincoln's theory was that they were, they were hitting the house at Crick Hollow with like the come hither whammy, right? Uh, you know, the Nazgul compulsion thing. Um, and nothing happened, right? And instead, he ran away. So, like the fact that Fatty Bolger escaped the trap from which a ring bearer could not possibly escape, um, proved to them, like that's what proved to them that the ring wasn't there, right? Because obviously, okay, so there was a dude there in the house um, who cleared out, but he couldn't have been the ring bearer because if he had been bearing the ring, he would not have been able just to run off like that. Um, I don't know that I'm a hundred percent convinced by that, but it kind of works. You know, it does kind of work. We certainly do see, um, uh, you know, it's the ring draws the the ring wraiths, Aragorn is going to say, uh, but it's also clear that the ring wraiths draw the ring bearer uh, to some extent. Um, and so, you know, if they knew that vulnerability and, uh, uh, you know, I, I, as, as I say, I think that there might be there might be something there, even though I'm not completely um uh, convinced of it, but, um, yeah. Okay. All right. So let's, um, let's keep going. Okay. So last time I was talking about Bill Fernie's cause I, I suspected of being Bill Fernie's idea, um, of freeing the horses, you know, uh, scattering all the horses at the prancing pony. Um, it's a daring move, as that's got to be something relatively hard to execute. Because um, you think about it, he has to have um, uh, he has to have gotten them out of town, and it's not like the prancing pony is on the edge of town; it's in the middle of town, right? So, uh, Bill Fernie and his accomplice, right? His uh, his his. Uh, his goblin-faced accomplice, would have had to loose all of these horses and basically herd them all the way out of town, which, of course, by itself sort of shows that they were in cahoots with the gatekeeper, right, Um, who presumably kept the gate open for them uh, in doing this. Um, But that's kind of twice as bold. Remember that, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm kind of imagining... um, you know, Nob with his lantern coming running down the street, chasing off Nazgul and 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 scattering Bill Fernie and accomplice, right? Um, uh, when he comes back to rescue Mary, obviously they don't want to draw attention. Obviously they're concerned about you know public scrutiny and getting caught in the middle of a. What would it be like to get caught in the middle of you know uh, rustling? However many horses and ponies were there at the inn, right? Um, I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's actually kind of a remarkable feat. But at, at the end of the day, I don't think that that is Bill Fernie's greatest triumph. I think his greatest triumph is this moment the next day, right? Uh, in the end, there was more than three hours delay. Bob came back with the report that no horse or pony was to be got for love or money in the neighborhood except one. Bill Fernie had one that he might possibly sell. A poor old half-starved creature it is, said Bob, but he won't part with it for less than thrice its worth, seeing how you're placed. Not if I knows Bill Fernie. Bill Fernie, said Frodo, isn't there some trick? Wouldn't the beast bolt back to him with all our stuff or help in tracking us or something? I wonder, said Strider, 
but I cannot imagine any animal running home to him once it got away. I fancy this is only an afterthought of kind Master Fernie's, just a way of increasing his profits from the affair. The chief danger is that the poor beast is probably at death's door, but there does not seem any choice. What does he want for it? Um... Okay, yeah. Yeah, and Frumius Bujum suggests that the uh the the goblin face dude might well be a, a, a an experienced horse thief. Um because he did help steal horses down south in Rohan. Yeah, no, of course, I think that that conception of his character comes after the fact, right? Uh so like that's kind of as far as the creative process goes, the cause and effect works the other way. But yeah, no, exactly. That 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 does uh fit him, right? As we will um as we will see. This is, I think, just a um, uh, a phenomenal act of panache by Bill Fernie, right? Um, think of this as like, I don't know, like a Bill Fernie's little three-act play, right? Act one, he's thwarted, and he's got to be pretty upset, right? I mean, he had a job. The Nazgul clearly gave him a job. Uh, he had a job, and he didn't do the job, Right? He broke into their rooms. They weren't there. He has not come home uh, with any, you know, captive hobbits, which it seems is probably what they were looking for, or hobbit corpses, one way or the other, whether he was trying to kill them or whether he was just trying to kidnap them, which to me seems more likely um, because I think that they would want them to they would want them to talk. And certainly we know the ring bearer is meant to be brought back alive to Mordor. Um, anyway, that was his job. He failed at his job, right? But after that, he did pretty well for himself. Uh, he, uh, he can go back to the, so just from, from what we talked about last time, he can now go back to the Nazgul and report that he has paralyzed them, right? You know, so here they are, Four inexperienced and, frankly, not hugely competent hobbits stuck in Bree uh, with no ponies, no way to get any ponies, right? No matter what, no, no matter if they are loaded, which they kind of are, actually. Uh, but anyway, uh, certainly compared to people in the area, I mean, you could just think about the the kind of wealth that Merry and Pippin could theoretically lay their hands on, right? Uh, anyway, so... But but here they are, like, they can't possibly get any horses, and so they're they're trapped, right? One way or the other, they've got them. So he's he's uh, recovered his position a little bit, right? He's going to be able to um, speak a little bit more confidently when he tells the Nazgul about his favor. And then on top of this, right, on top of this, to to have the guts to come forward and say, oh, I can... I can sell you a pony, right? Um, to, to you know, as uh, Aragorn says, to increase his own profits from the affair. Um, that's really gutsy, right? He has probably been offered money by the Nazgul, though you've got to think that, you know, in his honest moments, he's afraid for his skin, uh, as he's got to be at least a little bit creeped out by the Nazgul, right? And uh, afraid of them. We see, you know, others are daunted and terrified. Um, even if, and so he's actually showing a fair bit of independent thought, and he's showing, and he shows also that he's still acting as a free agent, right? He considers himself to be on his own business, Right, he's working for the Nazgul, and he's going to get money from them, and he's going to take money directly from Frodo and company by selling him his half-dead pony for triple the price. Right, um, 
So you can see that Bill Fernie is not operating just under the dominion of the Nazgul, right? Um, he's still trying to feather his nest, and you, you got to think that he sees the Nazgul uh, at least presumably when they're not there uh, as a mechanism of profit for himself, right? Um, that he has a lot to gain from this because they're offering, they're offering gold. Um, yeah. And Catriona, no, I don't think they would have brought that much ready cash with them though. Again, um, what they had in ready cash is still presumably a fair bit by like, I bet you, you know, in the, uh, in in the framework of like Sam Gamgee's family budget, what they brought was maybe not much to Frodo and uh, and uh, Merry and Pippin, but probably would have been considered a great deal uh, by the Gamgee family. But uh, yeah, good, um, yeah. And Matt, that is interesting too. Uh, Matt points out that it's it's also possible that he's generating plausible deniability in town, right? Hey, I wasn't trying to hinder them. I even sold them a pony so they could get on the road, right? Um, obviously, I'm not the one who did, who rustled all the horses, right, in the night. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's he, he, he definitely has some questions to answer, you gotta think. Bill Fernie does, right? Um, I mean, after all, there's a fair bit of evidence against him. I mean, it looked what Knob can tell in the morning looks pretty bad. Um, yeah, you, you got to think that if there's any kind of uh, you know investigative process in in uh, in Breetown, if 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 the Breetown in the book had anything like the prison space available <laughs> that the in-game Breetown has, uh, you'd think that uh, Bill Fernie would already be occupying himself a cell, quite likely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so John, we don't know for sure what they did on their own initiative and what was the Nazgul idea. Um, but it seems to me that if we take the three things, it seems to me that the likeliest explanation is that they appear in the order of decreasing connection to the Nazgul, right? The break in at the end. I think is is almost certain to be under the direct orders of the Nazgul, right? Um, the setting free all the horses and trapping them um, might possibly have been the order of the Nazgul as well, but I'm less convinced of that, uh, and I think it very likely that that was their own suggestion. You know, that was that uh, sort of feels a little bit more improvisational. I think just because they, um, uh, I can't imagine that this was, I can't imagine that was plan A. Plan A is to nab them. And if they've been told to nab them or kill them, why bother with the horses, right? So I can't imagine the Nazgul will be like, first kidnap them, then let the horses free, just because, right? Probably not, right? So that's why my reading would be that the horse thieving uh, was uh, was was improvisational on their part, and the selling of Bill and trying to profit from them directly to boot. Right? Uh, certainly, I cannot imagine the Nazgul saying. And by the way, sell him a knackered horse too. That'll 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 show him. Right? I, I I can't I can't believe that that's actually what happened. Um, yeah. So, 
Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Mike, I agree. I also wouldn't want to be the gate guard when they come asking questions about the horses. Yeah. Hey, Harry, did you, um, happen to see, I don't know, a couple dozen horses going out through the gates last night? Did you notice anything? Did anything come to your attention at any point? Yeah, you, you gotta think there'd have to be some kind of somebody, um, uh, somebody answering questions here. So, um, let me just, so I've got, uh, so was it Fly Guy? Is that what you, I can see? It's very small print uh, on Twitter uh, is asking where I'm looking. So uh, the easiest thing, if you go to twitch.com and go to the Signum U channel, uh, that's that's our first in. I'm actually looking at Discord. But if you go to Twitch, we can give you the address there and you can join us uh, in screen for the for the discussion for people who are uh, uh, making comments that I'm reading aloud. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it's almost like so thinking that that the 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 horse rustling was their suggestion is almost like thinking that the Nazgul were like, and while you're there, cut up the bolsters, just rip up the bolsters. Uh, if you see any mats, you know, like brown mats, just tear them to shreds. Right? No. Like that's I I, that, I can't believe that that was. I I I think their instructions were just again like nab and or kill hobbits and. Uh, and bring them along, and they don't really care much about anything else. Um, yeah. <laughs> Rothgar says, Harry can claim he was just as alert as Butterbur, and they somehow got past him. Yeah, it's true. It's not like, you know, if uh, Butterbur is involved, you know, in the criminal justice process, which it seems not impossible that he would be, he certainly is not in any position to cast stones on the subject of vigilance. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, no, I agree. That's, uh, it's, uh, maybe, uh, maybe he would be a little cautious about that. Um, anyway, okay. Um, so let's get back to the poor old half-starved creature, uh, that, uh, Bill Fernie is going to sell them. Um, and he's just got to be laughing hysterically, right? I mean, Bill Fernie has to feel like he is on top of the world, right? Bill Fernie is like the king here. Um, you know, he clearly, as we're going to see, feels some kind of kind of competition with Strider, and he has so won today. And I guess especially since his night probably started really badly uh, when he broke into the room and found that the hobbits were gone and, and he'd been suckered into breaking in for no reason, right? Uh, At the point at which he started slashing bolsters. Um, You know, it's... um, uh, Oh, it's .tv. I'm sorry, Druid's Fire. Yes, thank you. Druid's Fire is reminding me I gave the wrong address just now. Twitch.tv slash Signum. I said .com. Totally, totally my fault. Thanks, Druid's Fire. Druid's Fire, as always, on top of this kind of thing. Um, Anyway, okay. So, uh, so... Good. Yeah, exactly. Mike, I suspect that that's more or less how it worked, that what the Nazgul actually said to Bill Fernie was something along the lines of, bring us baggins and we'll give you gold. That's what we, the kind of thing we know happened, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing that I would have, uh, that I would have expected. Yeah. Um, yeah, and JJ, I agree. Uh, JJ says it almost sounds not that Bill wouldn't 
train an animal, but that he couldn't. Uh, the idea of him doing anything to an animal but mistreat it is inconceivable uh, to Aragorn. Yeah, exactly. But he he's obviously not just incompetent, right? He's maliciously incompetent. He obviously not only doesn't train um, his animals, but doesn't care for them either, right? Which really doesn't come as a surprise. We see he also noticed uh, that there's a there's a bad sign as well which is that he he doesn't uh he doesn't take care of his his lawn either right a, a bad sign. He's, he he neglects the plants he neglects the animals uh it's uh it's uh it's terrible well let's uh move on more about ponies Bill Fernie's price was twelve silver pennies, and that was indeed at least three times the pony's value in those parts. It proved to be a bony, underfed, and dispirited animal, but it did not look like dying just yet. Mr. Butterbur paid for it himself, and offered Mary another eighteen pence as some compensation for the lost animals. He was an honest man, and well off as things were reckoned in Bree, but thirty silver pennies was a sore blow to him, and being cheated by Bill Fernie made it harder to bear. As a matter of fact, he came out on the right side in the end. It turned out later that only one horse had been actually stolen. The others had been driven off or had bolted in terror, and were found wandering in different corners of the Breeland. Mary's ponies had escaped altogether, and eventually, having a good deal of sense, they made their way to the Downs in search of Fatty Lumpkin. So they came under the care of Tom Bombadil for a while and were well off. But when news of the events at Bree came to Tom's ears, he sent them to Mr. Butterbur who thus got five good beasts at a very fair price. They had to work harder in Bree, but Bob treated them well. So on the whole, they were lucky. They missed a dark and dangerous journey, but they never came to Rivendell. Um, I uh, love this passage. A couple of you were talking about this passage uh, uh, as well. Um, uh, so, <laughs> I see. Um, uh yeah, a couple of people feeling a little guilty about uh, uh, the state of their own lawns and what Tolkien would think of it. Um, so, okay, Th- this is this is a, 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 a lovely passage. This is one thing. Again, this is an, another thing that we noticed back in the Return of the Shadow class in the class in the Mythgard Academy. It's very noticeable uh, that when you look at uh, when you look at the Fellowship of the Ring especially coming from the Hobbit, right? The Hobbit is like the pony slaughtering ground, right? I mean, from from an equine point of view, the Hobbit is a horror story. I mean, the mortality rate among ponies in the Hobbit is enormously high, right? And it's almost comical, how that turns around in the Lord of the Rings. Like, no ponies are harmed in the writing of these books, right? Like, all ponies live happily ever after. Uh, I can't think of even one exception uh, to that rule. No, 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 snowman doesn't count ponies. Pony Horses have to take their own risks, right? Horses who bear their masters uh, uh, heroically into battle are a different situation, right? But ponies... Ponies have a 100% survival rate uh, in in the Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, Irindus, yeah, I, I, it says maybe you got some nasty fan mail about the Hobbit ponies. I don't know, man. I don't know uh, uh, how many um, 
you know, people <laughs> objected. Uh, to, I don't recall him talking about this in his le- in his published letters. It doesn't prove he didn't get anything or say anything about that. Um, but um, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, his uh, yeah, Mike. It's possible maybe. Priscilla grew up to object to object heartily to that or something like that. She was pretty young. Uh, in fact, I don't think she even was. When was Priscilla born? No, I think she was born, but she was she was a kid. She was small when the Hobbit was born. Or Hobbit was born when the Hobbit was published. Um, so. Um, in 1929. Okay, so she was literally a baby when he was writing it. Um, she was like pre-K when he was writing The Hobbit and, uh, and you know, reading chapters to his, uh, to his kids. Um, so she was, what, eight when The Hobbit was published? So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, Matt, the only pony that survives... Well, no, I mean, the one that Bilbo rode home is, a, is another... Is like his what third fourth pony i mean you get the one drowned in the river and then you get the ones eaten by the you know, whole set eaten by the goblins and another whole set eaten by the dragon right <laughs> it's, it's just, i'm telling you the more the pony mortality is off the sc- off the scale um but um anyway yeah yeah um <laughs> so yeah, I get I, 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 speculation that Priscilla had anything to do with that. Nothing but the purest of speculations. It is interesting. It does kind of work though, doesn't it? Uh, chronologically, uh, imagining a, a like a, you know ten year old Priscilla objecting, you know, in a horrified manner <laughs> to the destruction of all the ponies, uh, and uh, Tolkien vowing to change his ways uh, in his next book. I don't know, um, but it's it's wonderful. That not only uh, does he see slaughtering ponies uh, in this story, um, but he, um, uh, but he, 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 he definitely um, even invests us in their. I was about to say development as characters, not exactly development, but like the backstory of the ponies, right? The the kind of uh, not quite pony point of view, right? But this whole this whole narratorial diversion, right. To tell us like the future, uh, kind of, you know, close the loop on what happened with the ponies. Like, seriously, it's kind of hard to imagine, you know, a passage like this that you're really familiar with in the, in the published text, but, but still like try to imagine if this passage weren't there, like be honest now, would you have cared? (laughs) I mean, like, would you have, been going, you know, if, if, if we went straight from, you know, being cheated by Bill Fernie made it harder to bear. However, in the meanwhile, you know, uh, uh, well, I know we, we wouldn't have that, of course. Um, you know, there was a great commotion as soon as the, rema- the re- remaining guests were astir, right? If we just launched straight into that, how many of you would have been like, but what happened to the, to the, to Mary's ponies, right? Um, you know, that's, uh, that's, uh, it, you know, I, I'm sure some of you, Karita, I, you, you would. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure. That doesn't surprise me uh, even a little bit. Um, Tiber's now wondering, like, why we didn't find out what ended up happening with the fox. It's <laughs> a great question, right? Yeah, the future story of the fox. We don't we don't really know. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and 
So, oh yeah, Harnoth is uh, talking about how uh, John Tolkien, who's Tolkien's oldest son, uh, says that he was nine when their dad first told them the tale of The Hobbit, um, in, which would have been 1926, uh, three years before Priscilla was born. Yes, uh, Harnuth, I would say, asterisk. Almost all of them are wrong. About <laughs> these, like, I'm serious. Like, Christopher, John, Michael, and J.R.R.T. himself all have like very distinct memories about the Hobbit storytelling and and when Dad was writing the Hobbit and when they all have very clear memories, which are all wildly <laughs> contradictory to each other. So trying to work out a chronology, uh, it's it's actually it's a really interesting read. If you it's um. Uh, you you can read about this in John Ratliff's History of the Hobbit, the first volume of the History of the Hobbit. If if you're looking at the two volume edition, um, he has a long bit on on dating at the beginning and and just kind of puts forward all the different evidence about the dating. Um, and it's pretty clear that some of them are wrong at least some of the time because there's no way that all of their very clear memories could all possibly be uh, be be accurate. And again, I'm not trying to. Um, uh, throw any shade by saying that. I mean, I've said many times before, I can't remember what happened last week. So, uh, it's, uh, it's, um, uh, you know, it's all good, but nevertheless, like that, it's that, that evidence is only like, Oh, there's some, some, uh, some salt needed with, uh, with those pieces of evidence. Um, okay. And, um, John, that's a really great point. John Castle says that uh, uh, this passage is the first one in the Lord of the Rings that really gives us a sense of Rivendell. Yeah, I think that's a really fascinating element, right? Um, my my favorite sentence in this whole thing is, but they never came to Rivendell, right? Um, it, is a, it is a brilliant ending of this paragraph because it serves, of course, to bring this entire digression about the future course of the hub of the of the ponies right um back into relevance of the story that we're actually listening to right that we're actually reading uh and that is uh of course the story of of frodo and the hobbits who are trying to get to rivendell uh and so you're right john the kind of foreshadowing there right the sense of what a sort of transformational experience it is to get to Rivendell, right? So to live happily ever after, safe and secure, and not to go out risking your equine neck on a journey with hobbits uh, is a plus, but the cost is they never got to see Rivendell, right? And as I agree, now we did get some stuff about Rivendell back in uh, chapter two, right? With the, you know, Frodo's initial decision uh, to go to Rivendell. And we got two things there, right? First, of course, was, you know, I'll take Sam to see the elves. He'll be delighted, right? So the idea that uh, Rivendell is going to be, in a sense, like the fulfillment of all of Sam's dreams is one of the things, you know, elves, sir, right? That's one of the things uh, that we get about Rivendell. The other is there's that sense when Frodo thinks of it, right? When he uh, uh, when he first suggests that he'll go to Rivendell, um, that desire awakens in him, right? And there's that, remember that paragraph where it says he, he could almost have gone, you know, sprinting off down the path like Bilbo had done, right? Without any pocket handkerchiefs or, and without his hat, right? Um, and it's desire to see uh, Rivendell, right? The idea of following in Bilbo's footsteps. But it's not just about following Bilbo. Um, it's the idea of, in a sense, kind of living out 
Bilbo's story, right? He's heard a lot about Rivendell. He's clearly excited um, to um, to see it himself. So, um, anyway, um, yeah, good, good. Anyway, so um, so but but nevertheless, your point remains, um, and I think it's a really good one that that little kind of tantalizing. Um, sentence that we get at the end is really effective in that, especially since remember we're, uh, it's kind of an interesting moment for it, isn't it? Right. I mean, the whole effect of this morning as they wake up to find that the room has been raided and now the ponies are gone and they're, they're trapped, right? They're trapped. And how can they escape that they're in this one little tiny Island of, you know, kind of light and good humor. Right. But even that is, infiltrated by people like Bill Fernie, right? So, you know, Breland has definitely been, or Breetown, I should say, has definitely been a kind of, you know, win some, lose some, you know, some good, some bad kind of situation for the Hobbits. Um, yet, nevertheless, they've been comparatively safe here, and now they're going off into the wild with this dude that they just met, and, and you know, maybe they're still not 100% sure of, and, you know, the Black Riders are going to be, ch- and they're going to be on foot, and this is going to be really bad, right? In the midst of all this, we get this reference to Rivendell, right? Rivendell is coming, but they never came to Rivendell. Um, that there is something there is something great, you know, that the, the end of their journey will be a reward in itself. Um, yeah, Mike, I think that's, a, that's, that's really good on capturing the tone. Mike says that, uh, they never came to Rivendell, uh, has that same sort of vague sadness as Sam's sailing, sailing, they're sailing away and leaving us. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, Matt is just, so people are debating who wrote this, right? And again, this is a fun game that we've played many times, right? So thinking about this, do we have any evidence that this is the modern narrator speaking here? No, I don't think, I, I don't see any. Tell me if I missed something, but I don't see any evidence. Uh, you know, there are a couple tags that we are, you know, have been kind of looking for. I don't see any of them uh, here, uh, but Karita. Uh, um, Matt, I agree. This, this, this sounds like Sam, right? Uh, uh, even, um, so they came under the care of Tom Bombadil for a while, right? Um, there are a couple interesting, how do they know this questions, right? Um, so I agree, Sam. <laughs> yes, everyone's convinced it's Sam. Frodo's a good dude, but doesn't care about ponies that way, says Mike. Um, yeah, the idea of Sam being the one who really wants to to everybody to know that the pony no, no ponies were harmed uh, over the course of this story. I agree that that really fits Sam really well. Um, I would also um, I would also say that. Um, the I'm tempted to add the sort of digressive nature of this paragraph also seems to me to suggest Sam because keep in mind we're told there's one thing at least that we're told about Sam as editor right and that is that he was very reluctant to change anything that Bilbo especially had written, and you've got to think that he would have been 
not very likely to want to change anything that Frodo had written either, right? Therefore, I suspect, um, based on that evidence, Sam is probably not going to have been going through with a with a red pen and doing a lot of rearranging and and uh, you know cutting and uh, that's not going to have been his style, right? However, interjections, adding things that maybe Frodo missed or uh, touching on things that you know didn't get covered, that seems like exactly the kind of thing uh, that Sam would uh, uh, that Sam would. Uh, would would want to add. Remember the um, uh, the the comment the, the comment that we were speculatively attributing to Sam uh, last week. That was um, oh, I'm forgetting the exact words. It was the parenthetical commentary on um, uh, Butterbur claiming to have not had a wink all night, right? Um, uh, which expressed the kind of dubiousness of of his claim right that we were suspecting was a sam edition or so he said yes that was it lincoln thanks um or so he said yeah that's the kind of thing and uh and yet mad violinist i think that's a really great observation perhaps in the original it was marginalia right um this is uh, this this doesn't this paragraph almost sound like that right um and you see this kind of thing all the time. That's how, for instance, we um, we had the earliest ever Christian poem in English survives because of this, right? So uh, Cadman's hymn, right? Cadman's hymn, very famous Anglo-Saxon poem, first ever uh, 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 English Christian poem, po- uh, Anglo-Saxon alliterative poem about the creation. Uh, the story of Cadman's hymn. The story of Cadman, who is inspired to 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 write Christian poetry, um, the story is in the Venerable Bede, but the Venerable Bede wrote it in Latin, including the poem. Right, he gives a sort of Latin synopsis uh, of the poem. So, you know, having made a big deal about the fact that Cadman was making English poetry, he doesn't give us any of the English poetries because the whole thing's written in, in Latin, right? And the only reason we have Cadman's hymn is that one of the scribes who was copying the book wrote it in Anglo-Saxon in the margin, right? As, you know, he seemed to think that that would be a handy thing, right? And he was presumably Anglo-Saxon himself. Uh, and so he scrawled uh, the Anglo-Saxon in the margin around uh, Bede's Latin uh, so that you could actually see an example of uh, some of the poetry that Cadman was uh, was doing. Um, so yeah, the idea that Sam took the red book, right, that was handed to Frodo. Frodo said, the last pages are for you. And, and Sam's like, yes, the last pages are for me. And a few of the margins as well. I can totally buy that. Absolutely buy that. Um, uh, so that would be um, um, that would be really really interesting. No, so uh, Cadman's hymn. Um, so it, the so just yeah. So C A E D M O N Cadman. Yeah, nu we shulon herjeon he often reaches wayard. Mea todes meacht and his mood ya thank. It's a great poem. Um, but yeah, the story is really fun in uh, in uh, the Venerable Bede. Uh, you can totally get the Venerable Bede, an English translation in the public domain. Uh, just Google Cadman's hymn uh, uh, and Bede, B-E-D-E, and you'll you can you can find Bede's uh, story. It's a darling story uh, too. Um, but um, yeah, so anyway, uh, it's uh, it's it's that's a lot of fun. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so this 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 theory, this kind of um, 
uh, reading that we're that we're doing this kind of trend that we're identifying of Sam's editorial um, additions. You know, uh, the Samwise marginalia. I'm liking this theory. I think that this uh, that 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 seems to me to really to really work, and it'll be interesting to see how many other passages uh, we come across that we think sound to us like Samwise marginalia. Because of course, it doesn't have to be a whole paragraph. Um, you know that um, that business, you know, Lincoln the or so he said, as you reminded me. Um, that's exactly the kind of thing you could see him sticking in the margin. Um, or so he said, exclamation point, right? Um, but of course, Findigil, King's writer, uh, when he, uh, when he took the copy of the Red Book of Perianoth would have, would have, uh, regularized this, right? Most likely. So, uh, so yeah. Um, Okay. <laughs> it's funny. Poopful says that's why you want illiterate scribes making copies. Yeah, exactly. So that, well, you get other problems with illiterate scribes making copies. You get different kinds of mistakes, uh, mistakes that literate people wouldn't make, but illiterate scribes can be really good. I mean, that's, that's actually a, that's actually a, a, a perfectly valid, uh, career option. Um, yeah. Anyway. Okay. But back to, um, back to, this paragraph and the question of who knows what, right? Um, so one thing that I would point out again in thinking about the the narrative thing, how do they know that the ponies came under the care of Tom Bombadil, right? How does that come out? It's possible, of course, that they could have learned that from Butterbur, right? Are the ponies back yet by the time they come back through Bree? There's no mention of it in The Return of the King about these five ponies. Um, so it seems quite possible that they wouldn't have, right? Um, or that, that, that the ponies were still living with Tom Bombadil at that point. Um, but I definitely, um, I definitely think that, um, of the two of them, it's hard for me to imagine that Sam never has any interactions with Tom Bombadil again, right? Sam has a long life in the Shire uh, and travels as well. Um, and I do suspect that uh, I see every reason to believe that Sam went and visited Tom Bombadil again on future occasions. We have much, much less reason to think that Frodo ever did. Right, because he was in the Shire for a very short time uh, after the events of the story took place. Did he have time to go visit Tom Bombadil? Yeah, he did, but um, we get no hint that he ever did, and it seems quite likely that he never, that he didn't before he left for the Grey Havens. Um, so um, uh, anyway, yeah. So now you're right, Tony. It is possible that Gandalf could have told them. Um, hey, ran into your ponies, right? I was hanging out with Tom Bombadil. Your ponies were there, right? It was great. We all had a great time. Um, yeah, I could, I could, I could imagine that. But again, just considering, uh, probabilities of the two narrators that we know are going to make up the, you know, the majority of the Red Book here, Frodo and Sam, it's Sam who is likelier to have gotten the story from Tom Bombadil. Um, uh, though I agree, Mad Violinist, they certainly couldn't, could have gotten it out of Brie, uh, as well. Um, but, um, yeah, <laughs> John Castle says, Butterbur got them back in good time, uh, but he has a record of not passing along information in good time. That's certainly true enough. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so anyway, okay. So uh, we we that that was one thing. You know, how did they find out about them staying at Tom Bombadil uh, with Tom Bombadil? But of course, the more intriguing thing is the sentence that talks about. Uh, but when news of the events at Bree came to Tom's ears, he sent them to Mister Butterbur. When and how was that exactly? How did Tom hear of the events in Bree? Um, it's possible that he has some other uh, way of knowing, right? I mean, on the one hand, he was able to recommend the Prancing Pony, right? Um, so if he's able to recommend the Prancing Pony, he must have some source of information. And I can't think it's Farmer Maggot, right? Now, we know that Farmer Maggot is a major source of information for him, but I can't believe that Farmer Maggot has ever been to Bree. Just can't believe that. Um, uh, I mean, he's he's too. He doesn't have time to go to Bree. Uh, so yeah, I I I I doubt it. I'd be surprised. Uh, Gildor possibly. Um, it's also, of course, quite possible that it's that it's Gandalf. Yeah, Mad Violinist. That's what I was thinking too. Um, that uh, it's not until Gandalf comes back that like basically the sending of the five ponies back to Butterbur has. Gandalf's fingerprints on it a little bit too. Not that Tom wouldn't have done it himself, but that um, this is sort of another way of 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 Gandalf going through and setting things to rights afterwards. Um, that certainly seems possible. Could be one of the Rangers, Matt. You know, we 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 don't really know. We again, we have reason to think that they are in contact with him or would be in contact with him. Can't see why they wouldn't be necessarily. Um, uh, so yeah, there, there are, there are a couple options here. I still am inclined to think that, um, uh, it hadn't happened yet by the time of the return of the King, because nothing is mentioned and it's not just a complete absence, right? Um, Bill, uh, not Bill Fernie, um, Butterbur has that conversation in the return of the King where he says, Oh yeah, you remember Bill Fernie and the horse thieving? Um, uh, and then he that that's that's the segue that he uses to introduce Bill's return, right? The fact that Bill has come back to breed, uh, Bill the Pony. Um, but and I'd I'd have to think there'd be some reference at that point to the other ponies if they'd been returned by that time. Um, and there being nothing then leads me to suspect that they hadn't been. And and the paragraph tells us that they came under the care of Tom Bombadil for a while. How long is a while? A year? That seems quite possible, right? Even likely. Um, why wouldn't they? So, especially with winter coming on and everything, you know, that Tom would keep them over the winter and, you know, next spring or summer, send them, uh, uh, send them back to Bree after he heard about it from Gandalf. That seems, that seems to me quite likely. Uh, so I think my, I'm going to choose to imagine that it's Gandalf who told him, but as we can see, there, there, uh, there are a bunch of options and I don't see any very strong reason, uh, to choose one over the others necessarily. Um, yeah, good. Okay. Let's see. Anything else? I saw some of you on the Twitch chat asking at the beginning, um, where the silver pennies are minted around here and that is an excellent question i don't know um 
do they still have coins in circulation that are, you know, are they Shire coins? The Hobbits probably mint their own coins, right? Probably. Um, I gotta think the Hobbits mint their own coins. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, one tends to connect coins with royalty, right? With like the, the, the monarch whose face is so often stamped upon them ever since, uh, Roman times, especially, um, but, you know, and so it's, it's, you know, my first question is like, they can't be Arnorian coins that we, because the, they would certainly have had, uh, coins. Um, it is possible they could be imports from, uh, from the dwarves, um, South Run Knight, but I'm not really, uh, that's possible. They could use dwarvish currency, um, but they definitely, it's definitely a money culture in the Shire, um, that's very clear from the beginning. I mean, like from the very beginning, like first couple pages of chapter one of the Hobbit, it's clear, uh, that it's a, that it's a currency economy, uh, in the Shire. Um, and Bruinier, it does, there does seem to be some kind of equivalency between the monetary system of Bree and the Shire. Um, again, whether that's dwarf based or something else. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sharon says that she sure hopes that hobbits mint their own coins. There's a whole, there's a whole game designed for the hobbit campers in our upcoming hobbit camp around, uh, around coin currency. See, there you go, Sharon. I'm, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. I think the Shire has its own currency. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, good, good. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, Fourth Dauntless, I agree. I mean, dwarves are a little bit of a novelty. There, I mean, dwarves passing through the Shire are clearly not strange. They use the road, right? We know that. So it's not like people are going to be like staring in wonder at a dwarf walking across the Shire. Um, but I agree. The idea of an entire that their entire currency is dwarf based seems to me a little bit far fetched. I mean, anybody that has a you know, a society that has a postal service could have a mint as well, right? That doesn't seem too much to believe. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, okay, all right. Um, yeah, Mike says uh, thinking about the economics of Middle Earth is kind of dangerous. It's true. This is one of the elements of world building in which Tolkien was not exceptionally interested. Uh, and so we don't see a lot of the uh, economic factors uh, worked out. I think sometimes I hear people criticize that, and I, I often think people go a little bit too far. Um, uh, some of the problems that people have pointed out with the economy does not seem to me like so much of a problem. Um, like sustenance like i mean i've heard people say like well how do they support themselves in gondolin it's like well haven't you even you know read the description of gondolin like it's this huge fertile plain they grew plenty of food in gondolin uh but anyway um yeah yeah so um yeah, good. Actually, Matt, that's a really good point. Matt says maybe that might ex- explain the greater and lesser delvings. Yes, Mickle delving means the greater digging, right? Um, 
Uh, and he says, I was never clear on what the hobbits were digging up. Yeah, I mean, that could be understood as merely referring to to holes, right? So that Mikkel Delving, the great the great digging, uh, refers to the place, the biggest, the, their biggest town where most where the most hobbit holes are, right? So there was a lot of delving that went on in order to make all the holes of all the hobbits who live there. It's possible that Mikkel Delving means nothing more than that. Um, but it is also possible that there is more delving going on uh, than just... Uh, um, then would be explained by, uh, uh, by residences. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the idea that there would be hobbit mines, yeah, there seems to be plenty of metal in their culture and they don't seem dependent on trade, uh, to the dwarves necessarily. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Boomful says Tolkien has no more idea how Bilbo has money than Bilbo does. That seems entirely possible, certainly in The Hobbit. I mean, the idea of uh, Bilbo's money in The Hobbit is is very abstract. Um, I, I can remember, like, the, the genre of The Hobbit, right? The Hobbit is designed to be a fairy tale. It's, it's um, And there are some things, some ways in which a fairy tale has to work and be self-consistent. But there are other ways in which you can... It's okay. It's part of the fairy tale tradition to just kind of wave your hands at, like, some of the frame. Right. And then you just kind of move forward with it. Um, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Good. Um, uh, no, there is in fact a quarry in scary in, uh, in, in the book. Yep. That's not a Locho innovation. They, 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 that's, that's, that's true. Um, so yeah, no, exactly. I, 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 the fact that they're clearly quarrying stone there, I have no reason not to think that they're mining, that, that they're not mining in other places. So, uh, uh, so yeah, no, I, 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 that doesn't seem to me to be a, a, a serious problem at all. Okay. Hey, Tom, welcome. Don't worry. You've only missed uh, about three paragraphs. All right. But they never came to Rivendell. Let's move on. However, in the meanwhile, for all Mr. Butterbur knew, his money was gone for good or for bad. And he had other troubles, for there was a great commotion as soon as the remaining guests were astir and heard news of the raid on the inn. The southern travellers had lost several horses and blamed the innkeeper loudly, until it became known that one of their own number had also disappeared in the night, none other than Bill Fernie's squint-eyed companion. Suspicion fell on him at once. "'If you pick up with a horse-thief and bring him to my house,' said Butterbur angrily, "'you ought to pay for all the damage yourselves and not come shouting at me.' Go and ask Fernie where your handsome friend is. But it appeared that he was nobody's friend, and nobody could recollect when he had joined their party. Uh, by the way, the um, that was always one of my, you know, there 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 are a bunch of sort of sentences and phrases for for many different reasons that I always just kind of relished uh, and would just kind of like repeat to myself and just kind of loved the sound of them. Uh, and, uh, ask Fernie where your handsome friend is, was always one of those. I, 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 I always, uh, found that to be a, uh, uh, a rather sort of, uh, delightful dig by, uh, um, by Butterbur there. Um, anyway, okay. So the horse thieving is a big deal. Right. Um, and accusations of and, and the question of responsibility. Right. You know, questions of indemnity. There's, there's some there's some 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 big issues here. Right. Uh, and some serious tempers uh, being raised. This is a big deal. Again, what we don't see is like, um, you know, uh, law and order 
Bree Town edition, right? Um, which apparently doesn't really amount to much as, uh, it's, you know, Butterbur is, 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 you know, pointing the finger at Fernie right here, right off, right? And yet, like, there's, uh, there's clearly, you know, the, 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 the Breland DA has not moved on this, right? By the time they come back next spring. Um, yeah. Um, so Catriona asks if we're meant to assume that the squint-eyed southerner is a regular human or could he be a half-orc? Um, yes. I, 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 the, from his description, I do think that Tolkien is hinting that he is perhaps a bit other, right? And we're not going to understand the full force of that for a while, right? Um, but there is this really interesting kind of hint here that there's there's something, you know... This guy is this is this is not just a guy from the south who happens to be um who happens to be ugly, right? Um there's something um uh yeah, there's something there's something kind of wrong about him, right? Um and I think this is one of the reasons, by the way, one of the things that is being hinted at hinted at, you know, by calling him squint eyed and stuff like that. Um and uh, yes, I agree, Tilly, and I do think that there are all kinds of different sort of mixes. I think half orc doesn't necessarily mean fifty-fifty, right? Um, yes, there would be. There are some who are. Uh, remember, even Mary and Pippin. I think is going to be Mary who says um, that uh, you know this guy was not nearly so so uh, goblinish as. Uh, some of the ones that they saw down in Isengard, right? Um, so, uh, yeah. Well, nah, Bruinier, I would not, uh, I would not be so quick to connect orcs and elves in that way. Um, a half orc is not a corrupted half elf. It's a just a blending of orc. I mean, the orcs are an ancient breed. Whether or not they originally came from elves which is an item of controversy, uh, even within Tolkien's world. Um, uh, even if orcs did ultimately come from elves, uh, they've been that way for millennia, right? So um, that's not to say that there's anything directly... I mean, you might as well say that, you know, Treebeard and the trolls are, like, cousins, right? Which is not exactly true. Um, anyway, so... So I wouldn't worry about that too much. Um, and we'll get to half-orcs more later on. Anyway, all we know about this guy, we, 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 we get really three, three things, four, four things about this guy, right? He's from the South, point number one, right? Point number two, he is super ugly, possibly preternaturally ugly, right? Third... Uh, he is unscrupulous and a horse thief and possibly an experienced horse thief. Um, and four, he takes up with Bill Fernie and is serving the Nazgul, right? Um, now, is he, like Bill Fernie, just a chancer who is trying to make a buck for himself? Is he uh, a spy that is uh, working for the Nazgul in some way? Um, that is possible, Right. Um, but anyway, um, Ooh, that's interesting. John Castle said, uh, the word orc is only used seven times in the fellowship of the ring. Hey, John search goblin. 
Tell me how many times the word goblin is used in the Fellowship of the Ring. I'm going to I'm going to guess it's more than 7 times. 5 times? Oh man, you're kidding me. Well, is it ever? Like in every like with the plurals and everything are you doing are you, with all the different endings and everything? Um Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, okay. However, so it's interesting. This guy, this southerner has an interesting kind of story because he uh Tolkien didn't really know, right, who this guy was at the time. Um, but much more detail is written about the squint-eyed southerner um, in Unfinished Tales. So when Tolkien came to think through more clearly uh, and in more detail the whole issue of the hunt for the ring from the Nazgul point of view, right, which he talks about in the section which Christopher Tolkien is called The Hunt for the Ring uh, in Unfinished Tales, um, we get more of the story of this guy. And the story that Tolkien gives to this guy is that he was, in fact, a spy of Saruman sent up into the north, uh, right, because Saruman was interested in expanding to the north. This is uh, one of the things that we see uh, so, so much of the storyline in the early part of the game uh, in Lotro picks up on, right? The idea of the northward expansion, um, Saruman trying to carve out a large kingdom for himself on the west side of the mountains, right? As he tries to build uh, a little empire and certainly an invasion force that can rival Sauron, right? Makes perfect sense. I've always really liked that element of the game. I think it's very logical um, uh, plot development, the South Run Tolkien says that was uh, it really, uh, it's one of the things clearly that, uh, so in Lotro, they're not allowed to use, they don't have license to use unfinished tales. So they never make any overt allusions to unfinished tales. Um, but there are many places where you can, so like, you know, they, 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 they don't allude to the Silmarillion. They don't allude to unfinished tales, they're not allowed to do that. And they, and they're very scrupulous about this. They're, they're extremely cautious, uh, to stay within the, the limits of their license uh, down at Standing Stone. Um, but they've read them, right? And sometimes you can tell when they've read them, and this is one of the places, I think. Anyway, so... Uh, uh, so the... So anyway, so 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 that's the story. But but that's not the end of his story. He's not just a spy sent up by Saruman. Uh, he is found by the Black Riders. So the Black Riders catch up with him on the road. Right, so as the Nazgul are coming north, they catch this spy, uh, and they get out of him that he is a spy for Saruman, and they repurpose him. Right, they hijack this guy, uh, and they make him into, they daunt him into, uh, into their own slave, into their own spy that they send up into Breland. Um, and it's also he also. Uh, it's from him that uh, the Nazgul learn a lot of the information that they get about the Northern Lands, because this is his job, right? The spy. Uh, so actually, kind of in retrospect, the squint-eyed southerner is made into a pretty significant character in the sense that the whole kind of operation that the Witch King is running, um, you know, sending people, you know, sending riders off into the Shire and searching the road and, uh, uh, and, tr- and making connections in Breetown uh, is, is, is a lot of it informed by the work of the squint-eyed southerner, we're told. Um, yeah, so... Um, uh, other than Mary's comment that this guy looks like the Isengarders, is there evidence in the published text that this guy is an agent of Saruman? No. No, it is not. Again, 
Unfinished Tales, yes. We know that Tolkien was thinking about that, but remember almost everything written in Unfinished... No. Everything written in Unfinished Tales, I think absolutely everything written in Unfinished Tales, is written after the publication of The Lord of the Rings, right? What we get there is not Tolkien saying, let me let you into what was really going on behind the scenes as I was writing the story. That's not what Tolkien's doing there. What Tolkien's doing in Unfinished, in the stuff that Christopher collects and publishes in Unfinished Tales, is Tolkien saying, let me work out stuff that I didn't work out before, or let me think through things that were bothering me that I didn't explain, or let me discover things that I never figured out before, right? So we get a lot of new angles on old things or uh, 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 old questions finally answered, right? Um, you know, whether it's something like, so what were Thorn and company really thinking, right? Uh, the night after the, the unexpected party at Bilbo's house, right? Uh, how did Gandalf really convince them to go along, right? And how did that all come about, right? That's one, uh, thing that we get, uh, in, uh, in Unfinished Tales. You know, the disaster of the Gladden Fields. What was up with that, right? Like after the defeat of Sauron, how, why were there that many orcs there and how could they overcome Isildur, right? He had just killed Sauron for crying out loud, right? Uh, and only orcs to withstand him, as Denethor might say, right? How is it? Uh, and when, how did they not find the ring, right? The ring dropped in the river and just left, was left there for, for, how did that come, get, come down, right? So we get the whole story, uh, of, uh, Isildur's last battle there. In uh, uh, on the Gladden Fields, um, what actually happened at the 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 Fords of Eisen, Right, I've you know alluded to that one. We've been talking about that a bit in my Grifflet stream as I'm at the Fords of Eisen with Grifflet. So uh, anyway, all this stuff. This is all him uh, thinking and and uh, answering a whole bunch of these questions, which is really really fun. And so this is one of them. So who was the squint-eyed Southerner? And so he he definitely is. Um, uh, uh, so, Fourth Dauntless, he's definitely, like, going all in on that concept, right? That the squint-eyed southerner was a spy of Saruman. Um, but that's retroactive, right? Um, there is no other evidence within the uh, Lord of the Rings itself, other than Mary's comment. Um, and after Mary's comment, it makes it... Um, prohibitively likely, even within that. I mean, th to me, that's kind of enough to suggest that there really probably is a connection there. Um, I think the evidence is fairly is fairly uh, good that this Gwintide Southerner, within this text right here, uh, is meant to be a spy of Saruman, but we don't know all that much about it, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. John, and of course, you're right. We do also get the fact that they do seem to go over and be working with Sharky afterwards, right? Bill is Sharky's big man, at least the one who's there, right, at the gates. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it, it, that, that that is another reason to think that uh, the Squintide Southerner was uh, uh, connected to Isengard, ultimately. Um, yeah, good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, yes, and Matt, you're right that we know that Saruman is investigating the Shire. And again, this is what, um, this is the key, one of the things that Tolkien kind of came to, which is a really fun development uh, in, this, in The Hunt for the Ring, um, which is, it's not just that they 
got the squint-eyed Southerner, the Nazgul, uh, and co-opted him to become their spy. He did that, but it's not just that, right? The cool thing is that Saruman had already scouted the Shire, right? He'd been interested in the Shire, so he knew where it was, and he even had, like, maps and stuff, right? And he gave them to his spy that he sent into the north, right? You're going near this Shire place. I want you to stake this place out. I want you to let me know what's going on, right, uh, in the in the general Shire area. So here's, like, how to find the Shire. So he has that information, and the Nazgul get it off him, right? Um, so this is... Tolkien's retroactive explanation for why the Black Riders were able to find the Shire A at all, or B, as comparatively quickly as they did, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, no, Saruman, Saruman has had years to to stalk the Shire. Uh, and we know that he has direct communications with the Shire. I mean, he gets, he has, uh, he, he has Longbottom Leaf, uh, in Isengard, right? So somebody makes the trip from Isengard to the Shire, right? Um, with wagons full of leaf in any case, right? Um, and so Saruman has all kinds of opportunity, even if he never leaves Isengard itself, he has all kinds of opportunity uh, to learn about the Shire. Um, all he has to do is say, Dear Lotho, um, with your next shipment of leaf, uh, please send me, you know, any maps. If you have, a, you know, a map with Bilbo's favorite walks marked on it in red ink, please send that to... I mean, you know, he has lots of opportunity to get plenty, all the information he wants. And within, again, in Unfinished Tales, as Tolkien is thinking through this stuff after the fact, he also says, Saruman went to the Shire. He's been there. Saruman has. Um, again, no evidence within the Lord of the Rings for this, but when he was writing this stuff after the fact, uh, Tolkien imagined that Saruman himself had gone on scouting missions uh, to the Shire. So, um, so he would have plenty of information to give his spy in order to equip his spy to be able to find the land he was sending him to uh, and to collect information once he was there. Um, yeah, good. Um, and yes, Tillian, there is a point where Saruman admonishes Gandalf for smoking leaf, um, but uh, it, basically he's accusing Gandalf of being frivolous. Um yeah, there's a, there's a, there is a, there is a, and it is at a white council meeting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, good. Um, yeah, because Hrothgar, the Nazgul roaming around asking people if they know where the Shire is, I just think what a low yield approach to finding the Shire that's going to be, right? I mean, l- let us count the ways, right? A, there aren't that many people to ask in these regions, right? A lot of these regions that they're passing through are very sparsely peopled to begin with. So they're going to spend a long time hunting for people, to, you know, full stop, right? And then of the people that they do find, how many of them have heard of the Shire, right? I mean, come on, like nobody, the Shire has so little contact with the outside world. I mean, people in Bree have heard of the Shire, but outside of Bree, you know, how do they know? Where do they, now you might say, well, like, if they ride up the Greenway from Isengard, won't won't it take them straight to Bree where they know about the Shire? Yeah, but why should they do that? Right? What reason do they have to think that the Shire lies up the Greenway? Right? 
It could be anywhere uh, along in those regions, right? Um, for all, for all they know. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyhow, yeah. So, um, uh, so for Thoughtless, the reason why Saruman has been interested in the Shire prior to the events of this particular summer are that Gandalf is interested in the Shire. And he is watching Gandalf, and he knows that Gandalf spends a lot of time in the Shire, and he doesn't understand why. Right? And this is a really cool development that Tolkien does with Saruman's character. Uh, you know, I think he, he fleshes this out really well. Right? Because basically, Saruman is, is motivated by envy and by ignorance. Right? His own ambition blinds him. He sees Gandalf spending all this time with the hobbits, which in big picture he does. Right? From his friendship with Gerontius Took, uh, all the way down through his, his, uh, his friendship with Bilbo and his involvement of Bilbo in, in the whole, I mean, he, Saruman, would have heard reports about the quest of Erebor, right? Um, and so here's Gandalf all entangling himself with these hobbits. And if you're Saruman, you've got to be asking, like, what does he have to gain from this, right? Clearly, you know, he must be making capital on them in some way. There, there's some scheme that Gandalf has that the hobbits of the Shire are instrumental to, right? And I got I to gotta figure out what that is, right? Uh, now, because Saruman wouldn't understand, just like friends, right? Um, and we're told that Gandalf's, what drew Gandalf to the Shire was simply his admiration for, he likes the hobbits, right? He likes and admires them um, and wants to get to know them better and wants to help them. Remember, he says that he's the only one among the wise who goes in for hobbit lore, right? Uh, an obscure branch of knowledge, but full of surprises, right? Um you know, he's, he's, um, but, but again, Saruman, he doesn't think like that, right? Saruman is like, he must so, know something I don't know. What is it about? Th- and of course, everything that happens would seem to confirm his original theory, right? Because of course, it turns out that Gandalf has in fact been stashing the one ring there, right? The ruling, he knew where the ruling ring was and he was hiding it in the Shire. So Saruman's got to be like, see, I knew it all along, right? I knew you had some devious scheme, uh, uh, up there, uh, you know, hanging out with them. Uh, remember that his words, um, you know, when, when he, when Gandalf's report of his words, I should say, uh, when he talks about, uh, uh, Gandalf coming away from his lurking place in the Shire, right? Why does Gandalf lurk there, right? Uh, this is the question that Saruman has. So, um, um, anyway, yes, Tony, it does say that Gandalf uh, started admiring them after the long winter. He admired how they handled adversity, right? Um, that they had they had very few resources. They, you know, they were they were they were suffering. They were in real trouble, um, and he really admired how they came through it. Oops. When I FK there, um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. We're told that that's that was the moment that uh, that that Gandalf kind of had his uh, had his discovery of the um, how cool hobbits were, and it was after that that he then struck up his friendship with the old Took and all that kind of thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, Hrothgar, I absolutely agree. Gandalf's love for the, uh, the Shire and his, uh, you know, his aid to the Shire and his 
acquaintance, uh, that seems like a shallow word. Um, but his his learning the ways of the Shire and just getting to know hobbits better, um, that is, of course, to be directly contrasted with the attempt of Saruman to enslave the Shire, really to ruin it, right, um, out of spite. Um, yeah, yeah, good. John, thanks. Um, uh, John gives the quotation here uh, from Gandalf. It was by their pity as much as by their tough, uncomplaining courage that they survived. That is, after the long winter. I want them still to survive, he says. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right, John, that uh, pity does stand out there. Um, it's a, sort of a hallmark of what made the hobbits survivors, right? Um, but... Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, Tony, I like that too. Tony says that he likes to think that the first fireworks show was in the spring after the long winter. Yeah, possibly even during the long winter, right, to help them keep their spirits up. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Um, yeah. So, anyhow, this is. It's. I, I always want to be a little bit cautious taking those things that Tolkien worked out later and reading them all directly back into this passage. But at the same time, we kind of can. Or at least, you know, Tolkien has kind of given us license to do that, in a sense. Um, because what he's doing is telling us, you know, he's inventing a backstory to these passages. Later on, right? But that's okay. Um, uh, it's still It still kind of works. Hrothgar, we're totally making the apple throwing. We're almost there. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> we're, we're so close. We're so close. After their breakfast, the hobbits had to repack and get together further supplies for their longer journey they were now expecting. It was close on ten o'clock before they at last got off. They had a nice long breakfast. By that time, the whole of Bree was, buzz- was buzzing with excitement. Frodo's vanishing trick, the appearance of the Black Horseman, the robbing of the stables, and not least, the news that Strider the Ranger had joined the mysterious hobbits, made such a tale as would last for many uneventful years. Man, you really kind of try to put this into into uh, context, right? Any one of those things. I mean, the night all the horses were stolen out of the Prancing Pony, they would be talking about that for years. I mean, nothing ever has happened like this in my time, says Butterbur, right? Uh, in living memory of the people of Bree, they have never had such an exciting 24 hours as has just happened, right? Um, so this is, uh, this is quite something. Most of the inhabitants of Bree and Staddle, and many even from Combe and Archet, were crowded in the road to see the travelers start. The other guests in the inn were at the doors or hanging out of the windows. Strider had changed his mind and had decided to leave Bree by the main road. Any attempt to set off across country at once would only make matters worse. Half the inhabitants would follow them to see what they were up to and to prevent them from trespassing. I love I've always loved the 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 image of that, right? The 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 mental image of the five of them setting off across country and like half the town of Bree parading after them. Um Yeah, yeah. They said farewell to Nob and Bob and took leave of Mr. Butterbur with many thanks. I hope we shall meet again some day when things are merry once more, said Frodo. I should like nothing better than to stay in your house in peace for a while. Um, I have to say, this is, um, uh, 
this is a, a really kind thing for Frodo to say, right? Uh, I mean, he has lots of reasons to have quite negative associations with not only the Prancing Pony, but with Butterbur himself, right? I mean, you think of the combination, not only of the disaster strip to the common room, which isn't Butterbur's fault, right? But it's a pretty bad thing that happened at his house, right? So even by itself, Frodo could be happy to turn his back on the place and never return, conceivably, right? That, that would be one way to respond uh, to that situation. Um, but then, of course, the whole, like, people, like, you're not safe in your beds at this place, right? What kind of establishment does this guy run? And he says, like, Mr. I never slept a wink all night and uh, have been constantly, you know, I've been constant vigilance, right? That's, that's Butterbur. Except he never heard that. He never heard the, all the horses in the stables being, uh, being stolen. Um, you know, so, I mean, just like this series of disasters, right? I mean, the, uh, uh, I mean, you could forgive Frodo from thinking, does anybody ever stay in peace in this inn? Uh, and yet, um, you're right, Carita. Frodo could have left a really bad Yelp review, but he doesn't. Uh, you're absolutely right. And, and I, I do think that this is um, generous by Frodo uh, to say this. Um, and I, I agree, Tony. It's clear, right, that it's clear that he can see Butterbur's intention, right? Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. JJ says, I'll leave the ruined bolsters off my Yelp review. Yeah, exactly. We we won't even mention the bolster thing. Um, yeah, yeah, good. Tarlonial says, Frodo should have some sympathy by now for people thrown into extraordinary circumstances uh, and handling them a bit badly. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Frodo is not exactly in a position to cast stones uh, as far as how things are being handled. Uh, no... Uh, no question. And Belongsman, I agree. Uh, their mutual trust in Gandalf does kind of bind them together. Um, and again, Tarwonio, coming back to what you were saying, they're both friends of Gandalf who have both been sort of caught up in this whirlwind, right? Butterbur to a much lesser extent than Frodo, but he, Frodo, can appreciate that, right? Even you think about the fact that um, Frodo's reaction, remember, to Gandalf telling him about the ring and Sauron's you know, certain plan to get it, to try to get it back eventually and all that stuff. His response was, I'd better leave the Shire and probably never come back because I'm going to draw the enemy uh, to this place. I'm going to put everybody in danger. Um, most likely he's thinking a similar thing, right? Um, I hope we shall meet again someday when things are merry once more. Um, that is, I'm going to leave and I'm going to take the trouble that I, that is following after me away from you. Right. Um, but I still don't think that reduces what that this says about Frodo's character. Um, he's in a position to do some complaining if he wanted to do some complaining, but he doesn't want to do some complaining. Right. He does look at the best things there. So um, that uh, and, and I agree. Blue Wizard Butterbur's uh, trying to make things right. Um you know, by paying for the ponies and stuff like that, um, is, uh, uh, again, shows, I mean, he's, he clearly is a good egg, right? Um, but again, the fact that Frodo chooses to see that and emphasize that and give him the benefit of a great deal of doubt in a sense, right? And I didn't even mention the whole forgetting the letter thing, right? Frodo could, could be furious at Butterbur if he wanted to, right? Frodo could hold a grudge. Frodo could be all like, this is all your stupid fault, Butterbur, right? Um, 
And although he does acknowledge that Butterbur really has made a mess of things, he doesn't do that. He doesn't hold it against him. And again, I think I, I think that's very big of Frodo. Very generous. Uh, exactly, John. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no, for Thoughtless, there's a, Strider speaks of the fact that the Black Riders were seen in Bree before uh, this. So it's, uh, the um, the appearance of the Black Horseman doesn't mean the one that Nob saw, though it's 10 a.m., right? Do you think that Nob has been quiet? But come on now. Nob has already been telling that story uh, about his heroic dash down the hill with the lantern, right? Uh, and remember, Nob is present when uh, uh, Strider is telling him about the Black Riders, right? So, um, no question, no, and there's no question in my mind. Nob has already retailed this story. Every I don't, I doubt there's anybody who has ears that will stand for two minutes and listen that Nob has not told that story to, right? Uh, that is way too good of a story to pass up. So, um, and, but again, they were seen already, right? They were seen in Bree earlier than this. Uh, so the fact, remember they came to the pony, right? Knocked on the door of the prancing pony and talked to Butterbur, plain as you please. So other, many other people have seen the Black Riders and know that they're around, Nob will have told the story of their being there in the night and uh, uh, possibly dragging off hobbits or having hobbits dragged off. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, and Tony, thank you for asking that question. Am I still going to make my case for Hobbit Bob tonight? I sure am, Tony, because here it is on this slide. Here it is. They said farewell to Nob and Bob. That's my argument. Um, the way that they're used as a set, it's not just that their names rhyme. It's not the mere accidental rhyming of their names, which does not prove that they are both hobbits. It is the way that the hobbits say farewell to them as a unit that makes me convinced that Bob is a hobbit, right? Um, uh, is notice how they're saying farewell to Nob and Bob and taking leave of Mr. Butterbur, right? are in kind of different categories. Now, that could be explained by class, right? You've got singing, they say farewell to the servants, and then they take leave. You're not going to take leave of, of Nob and Bob in the same way that you're going to take leave of Mr. Butterbur, right? Um, but um, but the, 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 the way they're treated as a unit here... Um, combined with the rhyming right which is which is highly circumstantial evidence um but in particular just the, the way that the hobbits seem to not differentiate between i mean the only thing that differentiates knob apparently in the way the hobbits talk to them or talk about them are their roles right one is the ostler and uh you know one is the one is the in-house servant um there's no other appearance of distinction and i can't imagine the hobbits, these hobbits, now at this stage of their adventuring life, not making a distinction between a hobbit and one of the big folk, right? Um, so I, uh, um, I, um, again, it's not proof. It's not absolute proof uh, that you know that that you 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 could still make this work perfectly well with a human Bob, um, but. Um, uh, but, but, but this, that, 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 that sentence is one of these pieces of circumstantial evidence that strengthens my personal conviction, uh, my unshakable personal conviction that Bob is a hobbit. Um, 
Yeah. So, I, I, oh, and Simon, absolutely. Like, it literally, I had a crisis <laughs> like two months ago when somebody asked the question. Somebody asked, just like, bold as you please, on the discussion board says, how do we know that Bob is a hobbit? And I'm like, oh. And I went looking around from like, where's the smoking gun? And I still haven't found the smoking gun. I don't think it says anywhere uh, that Bob is actually a hobbit. I, but I had always like, so it, it, it shook my, uh, it shook my world that I could not prove that Bob was a hobbit. Um, and people were offering all of these, uh, all of these insidious arguments suggesting that Bob was probably human. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, surely it would be a smoking pipe. Yeah, you're right, mad violinist. It would be a smoking pipe. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Belongs Mon mentioned, yes, in one of the, in, uh, uh, somebody, talked about a, a, a toy set in which Bob was a, a boy, a human boy. Yeah. But no, please. He's a hobbit, right? Come on now. He's a hobbit. Yes, he's a hobbit ostler. Deal with it. He can deal with it, right? If he's big enough to, uh, to, 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 to be a hobbit ostler, you know, just because you need a stepladder to do the currying doesn't, you know, the, 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 br- you know, br- to brush down the horses doesn't mean that you can't be a hobbit ostler. Um, yeah, so there, so there we go. Okay, thank you, Tony, for reminding me because that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. Um, one last touch here. Notice that uh, the um, the sort of the crowning element of this wonderful story, right, is that Strider the Ranger had joined the mysterious Hobbits, right? Um, and it's fun to see that. Um, it's fun to see. It's fun to see that um, his reputation, right? The evidence of what his reputation uh, is in Breland, right? Um, you know, like that. They, they're kind of scared of him. They're kind of, but like, it's big news, right? Strider the Ranger has joined the mysterious Hobbits. Um, what? What is the bigger story? Right, that Strider, this loner who's always wandering around, has joined himself with a party of hobbits for crying out. So there's a party of hobbits out of the Shire, unusual enough, right? Um, here under mysterious circumstances, vanishing, you know, God, uh, doing some tumbling or conjuring or some uncanny thing, right, in the common room. And then Strider the Ranger joins them, right? But it's not only that. These mysterious hobbits who have come from the Shire, for what reason we don't know, not just like other hobbits have in the past of coming and then eventually and then going, they're going on, they're going east from here, right? What's east? There's nothing to the east of Bree, right? Um, so anyway, they're going, they're continuing off east like Shire hobbits almost never do. And they took Strider the Ranger with them? I mean, that makes them three times as mysterious as they were before. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> 
John Castle says it's too late to make Bob as a Hobbit shirts <laughs> for Mythmoot this year. That's true, John. But if we get Bob as a Hobbit t-shirts, we can still sell them at future moots, right? It's still in time to get them for Bay Moot, for instance, uh, and the moots uh, to follow. And I agree that Bob as a Hobbit would be a, a great piece of cryptic graffiti. <laughs> be really good. Uh, somebody, somebody spray spray painting that on a bridge somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's good. That's good. Um, excellent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very good. Okay. Um, so my next, uh, we're getting very close to the apple throwing and I'm like stubbornly determined to get there, but it's really getting late and we should do the field trip. So I think I'm going to restrain my mule-headed <laughs> intention of getting to the apple throwing no matter what, uh, because there's no point in depriving all of us of sleep uh, for such a, uh, for such a silly um, uh, uh, and uh, in insubstantial goal is that. Uh, so I think we're going to leave it there. We're, we're going to do our field trip now. So yes, it is two weeks hence, Mike, uh, for our next uh, session. We're going to be, um, we're going to be, I'm going to be away still next week. My family is driving with me down to Virginia, uh, as I mentioned before. And uh, so we're, we're, we're going to, after Myth Mood is done, we're going to drive around and do a couple more things for a couple more days uh, down there. Uh, so we, I won't be home until like Wednesday or something. So we won't be able to do class next Tuesday. Um, um, but, um, but anyway, so, so to a fortnight from tonight, but I, I am telling you apples will be, will be chucked at people's faces, uh, uh, in two weeks. I absolutely promise. Um, we are so close to the, to the chucking of apples. Um, I think it's the next slide. Isn't it the next slide? I think it's the next slide, but we'll save that. Okay. All right. Very good. <laughs> Chekhov's apple. Exactly, Rothgar. It's Chekhov's apple. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so I'm going to say, uh, uh, so I'm going to say good night to the folks on Twitter. Uh, thanks for joining us on Twitter. Go over to twitch.tv. Druid's fire. So, twitch.tv/signumu is the site. There it is. And uh, so I'll say goodnight to you, to you folks. Bye now. Where's that? There it is. Okay. Good. All right. And, um, okay. All right. And now it's, hey there, Valoy. Okay. All right. So here we are in Gladden. And we're heading back to Angmar. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And although Hobbit is kind of marginal, I think that the, the rest of it is totally uh, non-trademark uh, uh, transgressing. So that's good. 
Yeah. <laughs> I have not seen that. <laughs> I have not seen that. Um, that is way better than that terrible uh, Hobbit-themed Denny's menu that happened when the Hobbit films came out. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. English sausage, but now, of course, I have a supplier, so I'm good. Right, right, good. But no, I, I enjoyed it. My daughter and I would go because she wanted to have Hobbit dinner with me. And when Denny stopped doing it, we actually just make Hobbit dinner at home now. That's what we call when we have breakfast for dinner with mushrooms <laughs> and sausages. We call it Hobbit dinner. There you go. That's good. Yes. Yeah, I can't get any. Uh, uh, my my uh, my my family is mostly disappointingly anti mushroom. So we. Yeah, I'm the only one who eats some mushrooms, but I get all of the mushrooms. So how hard well, is go. that? You know? There you go. That's even better. Greetings. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. There we go. I have to share my precious mushrooms. Yeah. Okay. And sorry, I had you. Uh, uh, your audio wasn't coming through originally to Twitch, there, oh. but I think we got it there. Yep. Okay. All right, good to know. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had my sound set up there for Twitch. Um, Not quite <laughs> right that they were getting me, so I didn't notice that they uh, that it wasn't set to the right thing. But yeah, yeah. So I'm ex- I'm excited for Myth Moon. I'm so oh, happy. Man. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm. Uh, I, I I still need to. One thing I need to do is kind of plan my time a little bit. This is always a tricky thing at Mythmoot. Oh, yeah. Uh, because Mythmoot, more than any other like time and place in the world, is like... I mean, there's literally nobody who comes to Mythmoot that I don't really want to talk to. You know? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just one of the things about Mythmoot and, and what it is. Um, and uh, uh, so... It, that that makes it really hard to plan my time <laughs> because I'm always, you know, having uh, running into people and getting into conversations and stuff like that. Um, well, there's meals and there's afterwards too. You know exactly, and, exactly. But I have, I have the room. Yeah, <laughs> you have the room of requirement, and that's yeah, exactly I what I want to budget time for. Oh yay! Yeah, absolutely. Because if I don't see, if I don't plan ahead on that, like conversations with folks will happen. My problem is that conversation, again, if I'm not very sort of cognizant of this, conversations with people will crowd out all the opportunities for other things. So I won't get to go because, so like we should, we mentioned the room requirement, but you should explain what the room yeah. re- requirement is at MythMoot. We're going to have, uh, we're going to have basically just stuff to do to hang out with and have conversation with people. We're going to have board games. We're going to have like crafting stuff. I, I 
me and Rachel printed up a whole bunch of uh, my Tolkien art for coloring pages, and we all got crayons and pe colored pencils and stuff for people to just, you know, mess around with and have a good time. We got felt and scissors and stickers and nice. all sorts of fun stuff. And then, of course, we got um, stationed for people to do laptops. If you can bring your own laptop, and please bring your own laptop. We will not have extras. Yeah. You can play uh, Lord of the Rings online in there because uh, Friday and Saturday we're going to have a Wi-Fi drop, so we should have better stronger wi-fi in those rooms and we can anyone who wants to can just jump in game or i can show you how to set up an account or all that stuff yeah yeah and and play lord of the rings online um and look yeah board, board games there's going to be a book swap more more info on that later as we get it and mm -hmm. uh you know a library of stuff for people to thumb through it's all sorts of ways for people to to get together and and just have a conversation with each other, listening to Rachel's incredibly comprehensive and, and fairly penultimate playlist of all music related to Tolkien ever. In yeah. chronological order. In chronological order. That is I cool. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. No, so, I'm, that should be fun. I, I barely, I barely got into you guys at all last year so i'm i'm definitely excited to do some more of that this year uh i would love to get a chance to uh to 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 play some games people have talked about doing a uh uh, uh like a one-shot adventure of the one ring role-playing game which would be oh yeah awesome. totally totally yeah uh, it will we'll show them how to set up a sign-up sheet so they can do that yeah. if you bring your own stuff feel free to do that yeah yeah right. um yeah, it's going to be cool. And if not, not, we got the we got the Twitch cast at least on Friday night to uh, talk yes. to. And yes, I double checked. It was eight o'clock on Friday. Eight o'clock on Friday. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh -huh. um, me, high elf opener. We're going to do this. I won't be on screen, but I'll be there in in spirit and playing along with you. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, it's going to be yeah. So I I I, I did actually play the the role playing game. Uh, at, well, not at Texmoot. But the weekend of Texmoot, when I was there for Texmoot, I went to Richard Rowland's house and uh, played a one shot with him. He he's a, a an awesome game master for the uh, for that um, uh, for that system. Um, Rothgar, I'm a pretty big fan of the One Ring system as well. It is a really I I am I I have great admiration for the way that they have designed the game mechanics of that game. Um, very thorough. Um, in, in the, I would say it's the it's the major advantage that it has over Lotro. Lotro does a wonderful job of story adaptation and so thoughtful in so many. Of the, I mean, of course, you guys have heard me talk about this so much. Um, but the the one thing that the One Ring uh, role playing system does better than Lotro is um, sort of question the mechanics from the ground up, right? There are elements of the game mechanics and the sort of character creation process and stuff like this. There are certainly elements in in that, in Lodro, um, that are very interesting and kind of Tolkien derived from the, like, morale point thing to the, obviously, mm -hmm. the hope and dread uh, mechanic, which is my favorite. Um, oh, yeah. But, um, uh, but anyway, the, 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 the biggest... Uh, um, but nevertheless, like most of the game play and the game mechanics is pretty, like they start with a you know on a on a on a on a on a pretty basic RPG template, um, with their ability scores and and they don't call them hit points right, but they're still basically hit points right and um, yeah and and the way that everything else works. So um, whereas the One Ring dot 
uh, the One Ring uh, system does a much better job of kind of just thinking through all that stuff from scratch and really kind of building up within a, a Tolkien world, which is really fun. Um, yeah, and I I grew up with the Merps, the Middle Earth role oh, playing. Yeah, I found, yeah. Me and my brother found that old book in the old uh, secondhand bookstore, and we were trying to make heads or tails of this incredibly math. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's that was intense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you like get the one that came in like the, game. the red box, the like thin red box that had all the stuff in it? All it was was a book, and it was Just held together book. with tape. Wow, and okay. and and a character and a character booklet that had some gun, dungeon templates. But yeah, it was like homework the game. Yeah, it was, it was, that was, uh, that was, t- I mean, I loved it, uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I was kind of, you know, hungry for stuff like that at the time, but. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, so where are we heading, by the way? So we should. Yeah. Oh, so where are we heading? Here we are in Alkair. Yes. So we're going to, we're going <laughs> to, let's go, let's go back. Let's, let's carry on going. Okay. So let's go. Speaking of hope and dread. <laughs> speaking of hope and dread, let's go, let's go procure some dread. Um and we will go out to the where we were last time. I want to see if we can get down to the City of the Dead tonight. Okay. Because necropolis. yeah, we got to the we were we were overlooking the necropolis intermittently between running back for air uh, when we were about to die last time. <laughs> Um, it, which it really did feel like, you know, this kind of anaerobic exercise, didn't it? You know, it's scuba diving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sticking yeah. your head in the water tray and then coming up for air. Yeah. And by the way, so the roads, I'm trying to understand the roads because uh-huh. now we as we ascertained that this wasn't a paved road. So this road is a road that's made by the hillmen to file a crow. Right. So they're they're just going up to that place on the on the hillside. Whereas yeah, this, is, this is a worn footpath. Yeah, like the old road, if there was any, would have gone down this way, like straight through the valley towards the beachfront property, right? Probably? Yeah. Yeah. Can we do that? Can we get there down this way, or is there an obstacle? Um, I seem to remember it not being super easy to go this way, but maybe that was just when I was, yeah, trying to avoid mobs, yeah. Um, Perhaps that's why. Yeah. It is particularly warg heavy down here, isn't it? Just a bit. We don't have any lobies with us, do we? We're not we're not kiting um, wargs, are we? I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna find out in a minute. Okay, yeah. Let me see if I can go rear guard here. No, we got a small but spirited party tonight, so I think we're okay. okay. Excellent. Alright, yeah, and I don't see any evidence of a road. This over here, see this is the path that's now coming down. Um, but again, this is still just, or is this paving stones? No, this is paving stones now. Yeah. Okay. So this is yeah, part this of the This was one that led up to the creepy castle up there. That's right. Okay. All right. So, yeah, but of course it's not really a big surprise that the patch of land that Algair is currently sitting on is, was not, like they didn't have old roads from Angmar headed that way. I mean, that wasn't necessarily a... Yeah. I mean, we I see it's... We determined it, it was like a drainage ditch. Yeah, it's, water a pretty, it's, a, it's a pretty crappy piece of land, frankly, uh, you yeah. know, that they're sort of squatting on over there. Um, and it's not hard to see why it was... Uh, why it wasn't a, a big part of their... big part of their system there. Hang on, I'm, I want to look up at the sky because we're about to cross over that boundary. It also does kind oh, of explain how they're nicer. isolated from the different... Yes, remember that it's changes around here, and then we lose the force field, and then all the right. skies look like 
all the little ponds look really pretty. Right. Okay. All right, cool. Um, all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so for those of you who missed it, yeah, huge commendation for the One Ring role-playing system. Absolutely love it. Um, <laughs> I am, uh, after my introduction to it by Richard Rowland down uh, around Texmoot, I actually, like, got the you know, the primary manual and I've just been, was just, just have read it. Basically. I love role-playing rules, rule systems. It's just kind of fun, kind of a hobby. Uh, and I, I, I'm just, I, I really, really like how it's set up. Of course there's, it also does, you know, awesome work on the, you know, the background and the world building and stuff in the regions that they have done. I mean, there's absolutely fantastic stuff there. Um, but that's not different from Lotro. See, that is something that, like, they and Lotro both do really well. The thing that really uh, oh, makes I'm the one... enemies now. Yeah. Okay. Are, 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 yeah, are, are, are we being attacked me. now? Yeah, they, I think so. They're coming after you? Yeah. Yeah, they're all coming after me. Okay. I'm uh, probably going to die should, in a minute. I should probably dismount or something. Yeah, probably. Okay. okay. Mr. Level 100 something. <laughs> I'm only... Uh, what am I? 95. 95. Oh, okay. My mistake. <laughs> all right, hang on. I'll, I'll, I'll get my links out here. And I'll set my, I'll, I'll set my links on obliterate. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. Okay. There we go. So I think Necropolis is the big drop, so we have to go around. We have to follow this road. We do, yeah, yeah. We need to, we need to keep going around. I don't want to just jump down. That wouldn't be good. Besides which, I think we probably wouldn't survive it. Um, yeah. Okay. Not unless we had so, a they fall. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm totally getting spoiled for that now. Okay. Um, that's one of my favorite... Uh, techniques as a lore master, by the way, is because I love <laughs> wizard's fire because I can, y you can use it while running. You don't have to be uh, stopped to use it. Yeah, so I can just yeah, do it. And then, nice like that too. <laughs> and, and then my pet will just go chase him down. So I don't even have to stop. I just go and like basically, you know, sick my links on guys. Oh yeah. I've done that with my lore master. I'll go into an area and I'll go full yeah. laundry and just set my pet on kill. <laughs> Okay, so what's freaking us out here? Oh, Is it that stuff? I don't know. That guy's got a radius on him. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. Is there another one over here? I don't know. I think it's just that one. But, oof, yeah, no, over here it stopped. Okay, all right. We finally got to the boundary here. I guess it was the two of them there. Yeah. it's Whenever you got two, it's always like ten times more. It's like those are the warding statues. Yeah. You know, I... <laughs> this, this really makes me wonder. Looking at this sort of ravine from here, right? Um, yeah. Looking at this ravine from... You okay? You say, you, yeah, you, I'm good. You, you don't have to get CPR or anything? You're going to be all right over there? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, okay. I'll live, sorry. <laughs> yeah. That'd be better mute. I'll, you keep talking, I'll mute. <laughs> I know. I was, I was afraid you were, you were slowly and desperately choking to death on mute over there. I was, I was, I was, I was alarmed for a second. Um, anyway, as I look down this ravine from this angle, back at the place that we were exploring last time, the interesting thing to me is that it's, there aren't walls, Right now, are we yeah. to think so? We see these these old, you know, all of these old Angmarim towers, 
right? Yeah. Those towers are all over the place. Um, as yeah. you know, you'd expect, because uh, this would have had to be a strong place. And then, of course, we saw how the old, um, you know, and then you've got, you can even see it from here, right? The Hillman buildings up there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they came and occupied these ruins as before, and now the new Angmarim people are are taking them away. Can we see the cool new tower? Not quite. Yes, we can. Just the top of it. There it is. Yeah, yeah. look at the look at look at the difference in the top there. How you can see how like uh, you know, like spiky and bladed the top of the tower is compared to the blunter towers in the old Angmarim mm-hmm. construction. Um anyway, but they didn't put up a wall. Like I would have expected a wall with a gate uh, blocking this I, off. But Maybe with these watcher stones, it doesn't need walls. Yeah. This area on both sides is protected by two warning statues. Right. Right. So, but those I are, guess, we decided those are yeah. new though, right? The warning statues? Oh, oh, you mean recently. Well, maybe the walls were made of something like wood, like the. Possibly. Possibly that they, they could have had because right, I mean there are enough palisades up at the top that we could oh, yeah. we could suspect that. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm in just, this case, it, it's, it's, it's like they obviously just thought, oh, nothing's getting in there with these statues. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No. Exactly. It doesn't surprise me that that mm-hmm. you know the false king hasn't erected a wall there. It just it surprised me that the old Angmarim hadn't erected a wall either. But yeah. then again, I mean, look where we are. Right. I mean. I'm looking back at this. Now, this is obviously a defensible point, which is why I was thinking wall, right? Um, uh-huh. Especially since, you know, again, if you look at the map here, it looks like we're going a very roundabout way to Doom, but like any other highly defensible location, that's the only way to get to it, right? The area yeah, it just to the this, bottleneck. Right, just to the south of Doom, this is sheer cliffs here. Remember, uh, even yeah. when we were down here, uh, in Fasak Falroid, we were looking up, way, way up at at uh, some oh. of the outbuildings of Doom up above us on the cliffs and mountaintops up there. Um, yeah. So if you were t- in the old days to have traveled through Angmar uh, to here, you would have had to go this way. This would have been uh, so. Really, that place that we just passed through is kind of the gateway to Old Angmar. Uh, we saw yeah. some, you know, in this area that we just rode through this evening, evidence of old, um, you know, walls and towers and things, um, but nothing obviously kind of concerted for defense, whereas this is obviously oh, a defensible spot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's tons of walkways and the, those steep hills on the side people can dump things on. It would be very easy to pick off an army that was marching through this bottleneck. Right. Um, but not, a, which is why I find it a little peculiar that at least in the old days, there's nothing to just stop you from rushing it, basically, because there's no gate. Um, now, yeah. I mean, how often do they really need it, right? You know, but still, yeah. it's a little puzzling to me that they didn't have it, um, especially especially since we do get walls. I mean, like we can see the walls yeah. up here. You Pride know, goes just before fine. the fall, I guess. Maybe, maybe. Huh. What evacuate in our hour of triumph? <laughs> yeah. You know? Okay, and these are orcs? Who's this guy? Uh, that's a Tarkip. Okay. Oh, that guy. Well, he looks like... Is he orc high? Yeah, he's definitely... He's, he's got some white markings on... Yeah, he's got the white face... The hand on his mark. Um, yeah, he's got the hand marking on his face. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. 
Was that a war master? I don't know who he... No, he was a... Oh, I forgot. I didn't get his noun. Um, okay, and so this is just an orc encampment on a hill, right? Little palisade. Mm-hmm. Obviously very recent, just tense. And, ooh, look at these dragons. Oh, those are fun. I like those. Look at that. Oh, they're proper dragons. They got arms and legs. Yeah. Only okay, three like arms and legs. This is like the best orc art we've ever seen. And look, they they seem to be... It's like they're they're surrounding a fire, right? Doesn't it look like they're sitting next to a campfire? And yet the campfire in the middle is the Iron Crown? Yeah. Right? Yeah, so wow. it's like... A, I wonder if they're like the Dragon Regiment. It's is a this com- like a, supposed to be a warthog or a dragon head over here? It's a combination. On the, on the red flag. Oh, yeah. On the red, well, yeah. That might be a dragon head. Maybe this is the dragon regiment. Like, maybe Krajarn. I don't know. Kajarn that looks kind of bovine, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks like a bit like a bull or a, a warthog or something. Yeah. that n- The nostrils down at the bottom suggest. Yeah, so this course, is just... This that was just painted by a guy who thought it looked cool. It doesn't rule out that it's a dragon, but the combination of quality art, right? I mean, like those are good dragons. Good. Yeah, represent- no, this is the Leonardo of the. Of the Clearly, arc. absolutely, the Leonardo of the of the orc clans. But not only that, but the 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 sort of the combination of the represent the represent representational art right mm-hmm. with the kind of abstract symbolism of the crown and the and what really seems to me like a like a kind of play like a kind of visual play right because it's not just me right that kind of looks like two dragons sitting around a camp or even dancing around a campfire right yeah yeah or or like you know they look like they're about to roast marshmallows and what yeah was they really kind of do. Except again, it's the Iron Crown, right? So, yeah. um, uh, I, that's really cool. That's really interesting. And the, so, what? Why would? Why would they do this? Well, this is obviously somebody important's tent. It's huge. It is huge. Is anybody in it? So here's another captain of the... I don't know who... Uh, Kajarn captain. Yeah, I don't know what that means. It's just their clan, I guess. Yeah. What do we have in here? It's a war buggy. Oh, war machines. Yeah. Battle buggy. Ooh, they get chairs. That's actually kind of a big deal. Most of the time we see these guys, they're they're crouching or standing around fires. Yeah. Ooh, imported grog. <laughs> Look, all the luxuries, yeah. A little yeah. brazier for warmth over here. Yep. And baby clothes? What is that? I don't know. Oh, let's not think about that too long. Um, okay. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. I can't tell um, if it's leather or... What. Actually, it looks like a still. It looks like it's... Oh, you it, think? On the, other side, it looks like, on the other side, it looks like hammered copper. Aha. Right? It's a still. Yeah. Yeah, they're distilling they're, the grog. What, of course, right? Yes. Exactly. It's boiling here. Right? Uh-huh. And then does it is there is there like a pipe or is it just a rope? 
Uh, I think it's a rope. Yeah, it could be. Maybe a bit of both. Yeah. But it's supposed to be like a coffee maker? <laughs> a coffee maker. Yeah, something like that. They're well, just holding it warm, you know, that's it's, it. It's drip coffee. Drip coffee, yeah, exactly. No, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Absolutely perfect sense. I agree. Hobbits okay. have coffee. Why wouldn't orcs have coffee? Yeah. That is not necessarily a sensible question, but I, but I, I hear you. <laughs> okay, so... Um, Whereas, like, see, notice how these other tents just have the same kind of scrawl that we saw on the other goblin tents, right? Yeah. Like that the, random the business on the roof, which just looks kind of vaguely abstract. Um, yes. Though there's that one that looks... I figured out what that thing looks like, That what it, what it reminds me of. The, what, one, the that looks one? like the letter C and the two lines above it. Oh, yes. It reminds me of the... Uh, of the... Uh, the Red Wings logo, the hockey team. That's what it reminds me of. So there you go. Yes, quite. Uh, now I don't mean this to be a commentary uh, on the, you know, the good people from Detroit. It is Detroit, right? Oh, the oh no, no, yeah. we're we're meant to see patterns that make sense to us and exactly. abstract things. That's just how it goes. Hey, is this a? So this stonework on the left, is this a mm-hmm. keep? Like a little donjon over here. Hang on. I, I, I need to try to go around it, but I'll. Meanwhile, I'm gonna just like aggro a whole bunch of things just because I can. Works for me. Come on, Lynx. How long does it take? Okay, so that guy's elite, so it takes you a little while to kill him. Yeah. Meanwhile, somebody's shooting me. Whatever. Sort it out, Lynx. Um, okay, so. All right, is that thing foursquare? What are these little things over here? Little fortifications. Hmm. Does it go all the way around? Okay, so that's where we came from. We kind of got, kind of came, th- went through the camp and went around a funny way. Yeah. Um. But, uh, oh, is it, what is that coffer? A sturdy chest over there. Yeah, there's not even a door to this thing. Have you seen an entrance? No, you're right. It's just... How do you get in? What was that? Was it meant to be a keep? Like a... uh, uh, I'm trying to get up on this side to see if there's anything over here. This is, of course, the palisade of the camp that we were just inside. It's like the gateways here are just meant to keep, you know, the shoddy walls from falling apart. They don't actually keep anything in or out. Yeah, that's weird. Sorry, you, you notice I, how I many open gateways everybody. around here with only just two sentries at the thing? Like, you know, they're just—it doesn't right. matter if we're here. This is just here for the the war machines, you know. Right. Right. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, at, yeah. I don't you could literally that. drive a train through here. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're huge gateways, too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, they don't have too much to worry about, but then you'd think, like, why build the wall in the first place? But, so we've got the, we've got the big gateway with no doors, and then we have this stone gate with no gates, the stone keep with no doors or gates of any kind. The spiky dudes are new, too. Yeah. 
Yeah, the little spires that stick up. Yep. Little spiry things. Yeah, you're right. I didn't notice how ornate those are up at the top. Yeah. You almost wonder if some of the other ones aren't so ornate because stuff got worn away. Right. Maybe. Yeah, because we've seen the bottom parts of those. Like those yeah. like the those like the black metal bracing there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't remember seeing that full spiky business up at the top. How is it that I have a tiny little mostly invisible lynx and he's still parking himself like right in my line of sight? Um, let's see. We're not quite there yet. No, we still need to carry on a ways, right? But hang on a second. Yeah. This is we're we're gonna have a view, right? Oh yeah. We yes, have a view quite. of the necropolis. Let's look down on the necropolis from above over here. Because it's gonna look awesome. Besides which, there's another. Ooh, look at that house up on the hill. Boy, I bet uh, I bet the property oh, yeah. values up there are really good. I mean, think of the view of the necropolis, right? You'd put that in the real estate ad and everything. Beautiful view of the necropolis. A little huh. far from the local school, though. Right. And shopping mall. Right. With an easy commuting distance of Carndoom. <laughs> Aha. So this in, is interesting. Even in from, my neck of the woods, easy commute means 90 minutes. <sighs> well, exactly. It probably would be at least 90 minutes from there to Carndoom. But... Yeah. So this is the big old tree that we were looking at. So there must be off to the left somewhere is the, we can't see it exactly, but somewhere around to the left is where we were looking down last time. Right. Mm -hmm. Definitely looks like another courtyard. There's that big old tree. Yeah. Um, That tomb is ancient. That looks Barrow Downs old. Yeah. And right smack in the middle, we've got that new Angmarim construction, right? This, that, you know, spiky spearhead thing sticking up that we've mm-hmm. seen all over the place. And that has that's all of the marks gold. of, yes, the one that's glowing gold. That has all the marks of, 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 the, of new Angmar. So that's mm-hmm. interesting. I don't see from here any obvious evidence of old Angmar as those tombs, at least from here, look like they predate old Angmar even. So you wonder we, if that little new sorry, you wonder if that new little sigil's like some sort of specter attractor. Yeah, maybe right, yeah, the one down there, the new right, the new thing, yeah. Um Yeah, that's really interesting. So um So we see so we have found a um we have found uh a uh a fourth archaeological layer, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. All right, the tombs of the the many kings fighting over land. I think right, and I got it. So I got to think that those my so my hypothesis going in Mm -hmm. to the necropolis, um, which like I now feel duty bound to get there tonight because like that'd be kind of embarrassing if after all this build up we never got there. But um, but anyway, um, I uh, see. I'm trying to trying to uh, having my links clear out the clear the path a little bit. Hang on. Let me let the lights catch up with him. There he goes. Um, so, again, my hypothesis is that the tombs here are the tombs of the hillmen who predated the old Angmarim. So, the, you know, the, the, way that the ancestors of the hillmen who were already here, and then uh-huh. you had uh, the... And then the Witch King comes, right, and corrupts uh-huh. things to begin with. And then... And establishes old Angmar, and then old Angmar falls, and then the hillmen 
take it back over again independently, and then new mm-hmm. Angmar comes. So we had been looking at those three. We had been looking at old Angmar, the Witch King's Angmar, as essentially the first layer, the oldest yeah. layer, that is, uh, of all of the things that we've seen. But I think the tombs give us another layer. All right, Imlad Balkorth. There we go. First off, I know one thing about the tombs. Hmm. They are better built than the, anything in Hoge, O'Hare and is actually uh, yes. definitely meant to be more permanent. Yes. 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 Definitely not tent cities. Okay. All right. So we see on uh, Quiet Dead walking around. That's a. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can see them from here. I can uh, already see some tombs that have been pill- you know, pillaged and left yeah. open. And this or bridge that we're standing on is made it. of wood. Which is interesting. Yeah. Silvered wood, it's been here a while. Yeah. Unlike those fresh. Uh, uh, the, it, right, like the Palisades, yeah. yeah. Palisades, yeah, thank you. I couldn't yeah. think of the word. Yeah. Um, uh, Hrothgar is wondering yeah. if, the, if there could be incomplete tower foundations down there. That is possible. Uh, hang on. This is Look a pretty impressive gateway. gateway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, see, look at that. Look at that. See, that is classic right there. The swirly, cool. right? Yeah, like see, the Barrow Downs. Just like the Barrow Downs. Just exactly like the Barrow Downs. And that's just what you'd expect, right? Uh, because yeah. the hillmen here are, like, distantly related to the original inhabitants of the Brelands, right? And so mm-hmm. um, the both of these would we would expect both of them to show evidence of non-Numenorean human cultures, right? Yes. And that they're connected makes all kinds of sense. Were there wolves like this? I don't remember wolves like this. I think there were dragons and wyverns. Yeah, we got those. Yeah, we got those kind of like, I don't know what. Uh, Yeah, wyverns, griffins. The humans cowering. Yeah, the human cowering human stones. Yeah, yeah. I wonder mm-hmm. if we'll see any of those. But you know, this I, is no, really well, interesting, those though. New, those those are new. But you know what they look just like? They look just like... I mean, okay, not exactly like, but they look very similar to the sort of wolf totems on orc and goblin uh, gateways huh. and statues. Like, I'm thinking sure. back in the North Downs and stuff. Um mm-hmm. uh, Orcs and goblins often had, like, goblin... or. Uh, wolf heads they had g- goblin heads too but they would have wolf heads in uh in profile like this now this is obviously much better work much more detailed uh this is this is and better I love carving. the accents on the I love the accents on it as well yeah the nose yeah. eyes and teeth yeah that match the the bands the reinforcement bands right which so you would think that would be what bronze probably wouldn't it turn green by now though maybe you'd think it's- you think this is probably well attended? <laughs> yeah, there can't be the somebody out here buffing the individual teeth of the wolf statues, though, on a regular or some basis. Force doing it? I don't know. Yeah. But in that case, it maybe it has to be gold because it's the only thing that would last out here. Huh? Possible. Possible. Brass or bronze would have patinaed by now. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Interesting. Or it's enchanted. It's enchanted. Right. But no, I remember in in Tom Bombadil, they were talking about the, the, it was in, you know, 
age of bronze, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Exactly. Okay. All right. Just checking the backside, making sure. Another Iron view of bound. that little house up there on the hill, right? I'm telling you. That thing would go for a premium right there. Yeah. It's Witch King Summer House. Yeah. Okay, so what were we killing? Oh, look, we've got a crawling arm. <laughs> it's a classic. Oh, a he's going much hand. faster. Yeah, that guy is moving. That's a booking hand. Yeah, sure is. All right, so we got uh, little tomb doors over here. I can see we oh, got some similar curly cues. Oh, over here, yeah. I just yeah, yeah. blew right past it. Okay. <laughs> wow, look at the... Look at the there's little iron details on the top. Yeah, the door looks really nice. And yeah, I was just looking at this thing up here. What is that uh -huh. green? Is it like a glyph or rune of some kind in green in the middle of that thing? Uh, yeah, it sure does. Looks like some kind of sword or, or claw. Leaf or something. I can't really tell. Now I this, we look. saw this thing too, the thing that looks like it's at the top of a pole here with the, yes. like the letter T shaped thing. That was in the Barrow Downs. That symbol was in yes, the Barrow Downs was. as well, as I recall. Was the wheel in the Barrow Downs? This little Yeah, the one, the one up on the left. Yeah. Um, yes, I recall I called it a chakra, didn't I? Yeah, I suspect so. That does sound familiar. The doors are really nice. And really high maintenance. Oh, I see a pointy Ang Angmar thing over here. Where? Right here on the side. Oh, the the look at that. The one, the one. Oh, yeah. Weird. The stone's different than the Barrow Down. I like how they paid attention to the difference in stone. Well, and what's up with this wagon wheel? Yeah, it's that weird chakra that's carved into a couple of things. Oh, I see. When you were looking at that, I was looking at this over here. This one. Oh. Ew. Yeah, no, that's some sort of fleur de something. Yeah. Fleur de mort. <laughs> yeah. These these little S's at the bottom here remind me of that mysterious S that started showing up in, you know, high school notebook doodles and backpacks and yes. nobody knew where it came from or where it started. Right. Okay, so... This is passing strange. I don't understand this at all. So maybe these... the sigil was put on to attract a white to inhabit the remains. Yeah the the wheel thing. Yeah. Is on stone, which is different from the rest of the stone. Right. And it looks a bit like the lintel stone. Which stone? Oh, up there. The, the, yeah, in the arches. See how the stone making up the arches is darker? Right. Well, this looks darker yet, though. Those look almost I guess. black. Sure. Anyway, the point is they look out of place. They look... I mean, they don't look new in the sense that they're worn and broken, but they look... Yeah, yeah. Like, not original or added later from the original building, though possibly a long time ago. But, but then, mm -hmm. as you say, behind them... So I would guess that they might have been added later on, but then behind them is what looks like the newest thing of all, right? And I agree with you that that looks very much like the shape 
and the kind of metal that we associate with New Angmar. Yeah. So <laughs> this place has been embellished and tended and retended over the years, you think? I guess. But, uh, that would be really interesting to think it was just maybe just, you know, um, just henge gateway. And then they added the arch later when they figured out cantilever arches and stuff <laughs> like that. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's just a flat lintel across the top and they're like, no, we can do arches. Yeah, now. No, you can see it because yeah. that's all one stone. And then the arch on top is a different stone. Yeah, you're right. There does look like a totally superfluous arch when you just have a lintel up at the top already. Yeah. 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 No, this... And then the doors look... Yeah. You can't imagine anyone... Like the people who carved the swirly curly cues on rough cut stone made that door. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, look at the... Look at the little florets and things on in the you know at the joints i mean that's you know it's like they hired a decorator or something yeah pimp my tomb (laughs) pimp my tomb exactly (laughs) exactly exactly um yeah Cool. All right. Let's see what the other ones are like. I'm I was going to say, and that's just the first tomb. Let's see. Let's see yeah, if we can see similar kinds of things here. Uh, and it's starting to get late. We have at least begun to look down here in the necropolis. Yep. Okay. Same door. We get some more of both of those. We get both the separate, detached, standing chakra rocks and the metal symbol set against the wall. Yeah. The metal mm. spiky symbol. <laughs> yeah, one another one over here. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if like here. the chakras and the metal things, they were all different spells put on at different times. Looks like it. Because they look different. You know, not only not only does the stone look different consistently everywhere we see that. We don't see any of that set into the old grey rock. Uh the paler mm-hmm. grey rock. Um but it's also like that the rest of the designs all seem to go in for curves right and you know curly cues and the and the you know the straight lines intersecting in the middle of the circle are just a very different style than the the loops and curly cues and spirals that we get in the other carvings just has a different feel and then the doors are just like completely yeah you can tell those are different doors than probably would have been there yeah we get this in all of them Okay. Yep, metal dealy. Okay. Um, and here's a runner who is was belying his name there. For I always like it when you come across the runners walking along. Iron Crown I'm Messenger. I'm on break. I'm is, on break. Okay. He's just not in a hurry. Okay, there he goes. Okay, so down this way, we have more... Ooh, look at the tombs up on the... Oh, we have to go up there. So many things to explore. Okay, so we've got bar guests. We've got decaying hands. We've got iron-bound... Oh, don't step in the water. Right. That looks deeply unpleasant. Uh, Iron-bound slave. That's interesting. Iron-bound slave. So he is not not literally iron-bound, like bound with iron chains, but bound to the iron crown, right? So he is one of the dead who's been enslaved by 
the Iron Crown, which is what we already saw evidence of, right? We could have concluded that just from the tombs alone, or at least yeah. we could have hypothesized that from the tombs alone. Uh, as you sure. said, that like those those new Angmar sigils are set up against the, or, you know, symbols or whatever they are, are set up against the wall. Um, to what? To raise? To control? To do something? It's interesting... Because this is... Some sort of Horned King zombie army. Well, yeah. And this... I'm trying to think of other places. Because these aren't oath-breakers or anything. We don't have any kind no. of oath-breaking story here. Um, this, it's necromancy. Yeah, it is. Like, this is... Like, these guys are presumably first raised and then enslaved by the Iron Crown, you know, by uh, by the Witch King and then later by the False King mm-hmm. themselves. Or, or animated <sighs> and then controlled. Like, you know, they, like, how yeah. the Whites are not the actual souls of the Hillmen, they're other spirits. So, um, so it's like th- these spirits were summoned and then sent into the bodies to be Whites and then controlled. Right. Right. Okay, so I'm standing here in this little rise, just kind of circling around and looking at the beauty of all these ruins. So much to explore. It is. It's so daunting. <laughs> it is kind of daunting. Oh, look, oh, another man. tree. Oh, yeah. there's that big one with the staircase up yeah, there. Yeah, you see the big, huge, fat one? Yeah, there was, there were some magnificent trees here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. All right. We should probably stop though. We'll get a chance to we'll we'll come straight here. I promise. Next time. Um <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say actually we could start at Gathforth near and come down, except we can't because it's rep based, so I think we'll have to keep going the old fashioned way. Okay, all right. So we'll stop here tonight. <laughs> And um, right. gotta gotta you know, let people go here. Um, so we'll be back in two weeks, and I mm-hmm. will see some of you, including you, Valori, in a couple days. All right, I'm excited. Very good. See you this weekend. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of the Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org slash fund.